As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a More Than Just Podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 4, Episode 33. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline, way over there in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello, kids. And even closer to me, apparently, today in Seattle, Washington, is Jaime Lopez Jr. How's it going? Apparently better than Mississauga. All right. We were just talking about the uh, speed of internet and things, and somehow Jonathan comes in behind Jaime today, so who knows? Who knows? Now, I should have known this as part of our fact check here. I should have known this quote and i kind of sort of did but i wasn't quite I, I i knew he says boy at the end of it but apparently what han solo says to uh luke skywalker when luke is like saying come on you can just go into hyperspace and and solo rebuffs him oh, sorry han solo rebuffs him and says traveling through hyperspace ain't like dusting crops boy i don't remember any crops on tatooine or dusting that you know i, I think that's supposed to be the funny done. part is that he cares so little at that point that he's like yeah that's probably what you do farm boy oh i get it farm boy he's a, he's on a moisture moisture farm right yeah yeah so he's dusting a moisture crop well, I don't know. yeah something like that all right all right so we'll head over to the headlines with a sad sad note yeah i thought this would be a good place to start for a little little star trek news we did have some sad news this week that uh Sally Kellerman, a uh, very famous Hollywood actress, died at the age of 84. She's probably best known for being the original Hot Lips Houlihan on the original film version of M.A.S.H., but she had a lot of other roles over the years, including being in the first successful pilot for Star Trek. It's an important distinction. That's true, I forgot that. Yeah, you're right. She was uh, the female lead alongside... Uh, the, uh, the cast, the real cast that we know, the uh, Captain Kirk, uh, Spock, and and uh, and the the original crew as we know it in the episode where no man has gone before. This is, of course, the episode mm -hmm. where uh, we get the 
first appearance of the Galactic Barrier, and we get Gary Mitchell, and we get Dr. Elizabeth Daner, and she uh, she played Dr. Elizabeth Daner, and she... Uh, Why does it say Jeffrey Hunter, the cage here on this story? I think they're talking about the failed pilot that was before it. Oh. So they're saying this is the one that worked, and so, uh, yeah. So this is the one that uh, famously was enough to convince CBS to go to air with it. Yeah, Gary Lockwood, whose autograph I have on that poster over there that says 2001 Space Odyssey. There you go, there you go. So yeah, yeah. I mean, sad news that uh, that we... Uh... What else was she in? Like, I was trying to think the, the other day, on like, I know she was in, like, I'd forgotten that she was actually in, in the pilot. Surprise, surprise. But well, let's have a look here. I um I remember her from obviously Mash, but I also remember she was mm-hmm. famously she was the love interest in a, a goofy Rodney Dangerfield movie from the eighties called Back to School, where he plays a rich millionaire who goes with his son back to college, and she plays a, a professor at the university who's this like sexy older woman who becomes his love interest. Um, that was probably the first time I noticed her because again I was you know a kid and a teenager in the eighties, so that. For me, was what clicked, but I mean, she was in a lot of very famous things through the 70s and 80s and 90s. Um, yeah, I mean, looking down her Natasha list. Natasha and Boris and Natasha, apparently. She was, in fact, Natasha and Boris and Natasha in the 90s, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, if you go through her IMDb, it's, it's quite a consequential list. And when you talk about, like, classic shows, not only was she on Star Trek, but she was on, you know... Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits, Bonanza, That Girl, Mannix, like, you know, name a yep. show. Um, she hosted SNL, you know, like uh, she was she was a very famous performer. And uh, and yeah, for for our purposes, she was uh, she was part of Star Trek and sci fi history. Mm-hmm. So farewell to mm-hmm. Sally Kellerman. All right, next up, we've got a little bit of uh, newsy news. So, uh, as I'm sure everyone out there is aware, there is a conflict happening in uh, Europe right now. Russia has invaded Ukraine. Uh, This has obviously caused a lot of consternation around the world. And it's also particularly relevant because, uh, in this case, it's leading to a bunch of consequences for Russia. There are harsh economic sanctions. There are penalties being handed out to some of the uh, wealthy people in the country. And one of the uh, things that has been handed out this week is that they are not getting Batman. So Mm -hmm. there's a story from uh, EW.com, Entertainment Weekly, saying that um, initially they were going to, uh, weren't sure what sort of, you know, how the entertainment industry was going to respond to this. But Disney was the first out of the gates saying that they weren't going to release the new Pixar movie Turning Red. Uh, out in Russia. And then we got sort of this domino from there where basically everybody uh, from all the other studios just jumped in as well, including Warner Brothers saying that the new Robert Pattinson uh, Batman movie will not be available. It was supposed to premiere on uh, Friday, uh, our time. So that'd be what, the 4th of March. And uh, yeah, they've they've said no. That's been put on hold. They will not be shown to Russian audiences. We don't want to do that. Uh, we also got Sony weighing in, saying, "Well, we're not planning on releasing Morbius. That's being postponed, and that was supposed to be coming out in early April." Um, and Paramount has also come come in and said, "We're not releasing The Lost City, and we're not releasing Sonic the Hedgehog 2. So there's a couple more. So yeah, some some sort of consequences in a row there. Again, I don't think this is uh, even among the t- 
top 2000 things that uh, that the leader of Russia cares about right now. But when you're trying to enact change, it helps to have everybody united. And um, the fact that these studios are willing to do this, uh, I think, is is a, a nice bit of solidarity to, uh, I think, something that we would all like to see come to an end as soon as possible. Sure. Yeah, and apparently the IOC is also uninvited Russia from the Paralympic Games as well. That's true, and uh, which would have been super awkward if you ask me, you know. And and in the spirit of keeping our uh, our low level hockey conversation going, there was news this week that uh, the IIHF, which is the International Ice Hockey Federation, has disqualified all Russian and Belarusian teams from competition uh, without. Uh, uh, for all the foreseeable future. So they have been disqualified from participating at World Championships, at World Junior Championships, Olympics, anything going forward that's an international competition. Russian teams will not be allowed to be represented. And in a sort of weird twist on that one, EA Sports announced this week that they will be removing the Russian and Belarusian teams from NHL 22 in an update coming out. Wow. Hmm. So you will not be able to play as those two teams on their video game. Interesting. Well, Carol and I were just talking at, at the dinner table this evening. I wonder about what about the NHL uh, Russian players, like what will happen there? Well, there has been a little bit of fallout on that front. They did uh, announce, I think it was CCM announced this week that they will not be using Alexander Ovechkin and some other Russian players in its promotional material. They're not dropping them from their contracts to use their goods, but they've said they will stop using their likenesses for endorsement for the foreseeable future. Mm. So a bit of a soft response there, but, uh, you know, again, it's, it's uh, every little bit helps, right? Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, like, will, will the NHL, you know, grow a pair and, and no. ask them not to skate? No, you know? I, I don't think so. And, and it, you know, I mean, there are some players who are very much, I mean, there are many, if you search online, there are many photographs of Alexander Ovechkin and um, Vladimir Putin yeah, online. Vladimir they, Putin, they yeah. do know one another. Um, mm -hmm. There is a circumstance probably that would be, you know, you would like to see somebody with the clout and the influence of, of Alexander Ovechkin say something but i mean he's no, in, apparently he's in it's his president is how he says it so. well and he's in a very awkward position you know again he he happens to work in the capital of the united states uh who has taken a very uh you know anti-invasion standpoint and you know uh, i think he had he did release a statement this week which i believe was to the effect of you know i want to see this conflict ended as soon as possible but i don't think how he wants to see it end and how we want to see it end are necessarily the same things true yeah so yeah no it's just it's i, I can't mm -hmm. imagine it be, like imagine you know i don't know like i'm just using ovechkin as, a, as an example and of course there are many many russian players in the nhl but like imagine them going to a, a, like a province like manitoba to play the jets where you know a large portion of the you know people in manitoba are you know ukrainian oh yeah it's a large number of ukrainian canadians there yeah i don't know if you, if you saw but no, maybe you have a link in the show notes but there was a, a game the other day where um at the beginning of the game the instead of just the canadian national anthem they had the ukrainian men's choir from Manitoba sing the Europe, the Ukrainian national anthem and then yep. the, then O Canada yep. and you know while they showed you know fields of wheat and stuff like that on the on the ice surface. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's quite the, uh, it's definitely a rallying cry from a lot of different fronts. And, uh, and I think, you know, obviously we, we stand in solidarity. We want, uh, we want this to be over with and hopefully more lives to be spared because this is, this is pretty ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but let's let's move past that and then back to the Batman. So we talked about how Batman will not be debuting in Russia. It is debuting in uh, in other places uh, starting tonight, I guess, theoretically. Um, the question then becomes, OK, so, you know, if you're not comfortable going to the theater to see this, if obviously circumstances haven't changed or moved into a progressive place from where you are you may not want to go see it in the theater when can you see it at home well hi may have i gotten good news for you according to uh, cbr comic book resources they've got a story saying that it is going to be coming to the um hbo max mm-hmm. in 46 days after its march 4th theatrical release and apparently that would put it at April 19th, 2022. So really not that far um, to, to mm-hmm. wait to have to see it. Now, it does look like it'd probably be a good movie to watch in the movie theater. I mean, Batman movies are good. I think Matt Reeves is a good director. I think, you know, I think there's probably if you feel comfortable, it's probably worth seeing in a theater. However, that's not a lot of time to wait. So that might be a good thing for some people. Um, in addition to that, they're also talking about how in this story that um, it was, what's the gentleman's name here? I have it uh, at the top of the story here. Warner Media CEO Jason Killar, K-I-L-A-R, revealed this information. He also revealed that uh, The Flash and Black Adam and more movies will be releasing on HBO Max 46 days after their theatrical debut. So that could be a trend. So if you know you're getting a Warner Brothers release and you're trying to decide, hey, do I care enough or, you know, am I reading the reviews and it doesn't sound glowing and do I want to make the effort? If you know that you're only waiting, you know, essentially six weeks to to get there, that's an interesting quandary. Uh, Jaime, are you are you intending to go see the Batman theaters? No, uh, despite things loosening up here, I'm I'm not comfortable with theater stuff unless I could sneak in something like you all or you, you practically yeah. rent it for the price of a popcorn box. <laughs> I was going to um, say, are you looking for the empty theater we always seem to get out of this? Yeah, um, so so this will work out pretty good for me. I currently do not have HBO Max, so I've not been one of the people enjoying uh, Peacemaker, although I've been mm. seeing good things about that online. Um, so probably will subscribe at least for that one month get the batman catch up binging on peacemaker and maybe something else that i've uh forgotten that's there so there's a uh, rumor that the new uh game of thrones series may come out this spring that that, that, that will be announced at some point yeah i have to um well let me see uh so when they say coming to hbo max do they mean and it's real hard to, to do they mean in the like it's permanently part of HBO Max now, or do they mean what they did in 2021, which is it's here for a month? You better watch it then, otherwise it's going away for you know several months, and then it comes back later as a permanent thing. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I suspect that would be the case, but then I don't know. Maybe it's a, a lure in. My understanding is that uh, I remember reading a few months back they were going to do a spinoff. An HBO Max spinoff from this version of the Batman based on the Gotham cops. So I 
think it makes a lot of sense to put it there and plant it there because then you've got this natural feed in. People soak that up. Are you getting up. a commission from HBO or something? Or we don't have HBO here, frankly. For for oh, all. I mean, like, are you personally getting like a kickback or something? I just want to check. I wish. Uh, yes, as HBO, if you need a show, I am here for it. No, I just I think this is you know they have a lot of properties at at Warner and Warner of course is tied to HBO. So that's where comic books, DC comic oh, book okay. stuff is just going to keep churning out there. So if you're into DC comic stuff, it really is, it, it is, it is turning into the DC comic fans version of Disney plus Disney plus is going to give you what you want from a Marvel point of view. And I think the intention of Warner's is to be the opposite of that for, for DC. So if you're into right. Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, and the whole DC Comics universe, you're going to be seeing a lot of content pop up there because, yeah, that they want it on their platform. So I heard a rumor, too, that um, DC has, with the production of Peacemaker, DC has discovered how to use lighting on a movie set. Oh, <laughs> so is that a new thing? They're dabbling in in other yeah, things like, like now the, you've got bright the, bright colors and yeah yeah <laughs> like like Aquaman and other stuff where they sort of dabbled a little bit with like sort of dark but not really dark. Yeah. Did you have yeah, you watched Peace, Peacemaker yet, Tim? No, I haven't watched it yet. I'm, okay. I'm waiting for Jaime to be able to watch it. Uh, okay. Well, it's solidarity. I, I think kidding. that's that's pretty tight. <laughs> uh, so we'll talk about Peacemaker a little bit later in the in the show because I do uh, get to watch it for pretty much free. So I, I'm just waiting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. Uh, uh, we'll be talking about the uh, Peacemaker Suicide Squad uh, universe later in the show. So stay tuned. Well, actually, I want to come back to the to the thing. So um, it is March third as we record here, and in Ontario, they have they have removed the vaccine passport requirement to go to restaurants and movie theaters and sporting venues and concert halls. Mm-hmm. So my question goes to Jonathan this time: How comfortable are you going to see a movie theater now? You know that people are not being checked for vaccines. Given that Ontario actually has a very high percentage of vaccine adoption already 80 percent yeah 85 plus percent plus the fact that the areas that are most reticent to get it are outside of the core of the province here uh, a little more uh, into the um, rural areas of the province i'm less concerned but that being said i was not still like theoretically you and i could be at the theater right now watching the batman i'm still going to probably in the short term take the approach that we've taken so far which is i don't need to see it on day one i will wait a couple weeks and you and i can go watch it on a you know thursday afternoon or something and we'll get into a theater that has half a dozen people in it and it'll be fine Mm -hmm. and but and I and I think I'll continue to be judicious about my going to the movies. You know, I I had, we had talked about whether or not we would go see Uncharted, and so I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to, you know, obviously assume the the risk, I, I'll, I'll ideally a small risk, but a risk going to the movie theaters. I wanted to sort of see if it was worth it, so I started doing a little bit of reading and. Uh, not a, not a high level of love for that movie so far, and I thought that's eh, fine. Then you know I won't put myself out there for that. You know I'll I will probably be pretty pretty selective on what I choose to go to the theater with in the short term. But I mean I you know I've got you know tickets to see a show uh, a, a live comedy show in three weeks. 
Yeah, I have several tickets to see people in this. And, and I had been anticipating, like, oh, that you know, like so many things. I was supposed to see shows this month. I was supposed to see shows last month. I was supposed to see shows, you know, over the last little while. You just keep, keep, keep getting rescheduled and canceled. I assumed that I wouldn't be going to this one, but now that they've changed the policies, it seems like it's on. So I guess we'll see. And just uh, Jonathan, um, maybe review, referring to, I found a review on um, on uh, Uncharted the other day on Twitter that said it's far more rewarding to watch cutscene a cutscene compilation of the games on YouTube than it is to go see the movie. So yeah, I'll have a link in the show notes for that. So that's not a you know. Not a great review. Yeah, it uh, it is currently sitting at a um, a disappointing level on uh, Rotten Tomatoes right now. I don't remember oh, really? where, where yeah. it's at, but I think it was down in the thirties. Really? Wow. Let's see. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to speak out of turn. I will do my. Uh, I will do my check here right now. But it was. It was not. Um, it was not doing well. Oh, it's climbed up. It's at forty percent now. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there, the critic consensus is a promising cast, but it is it is a disappointing echo of superior adventure films. So, okay. Uh, that being said, it's got a ninety percent audience score. So maybe it's just a what Jaime lovingly calls a grab a bag of popcorn, don't and turn off your brain movie. You know, it's it's not mm-hmm. it's not high art, but it blows up good. You know. Yeah, I. I think I constantly bring up uh, Pacific Rim yeah, and yeah. Um, Stealth as the the movies were like, look, and like these are not going to win Oscars for uh, anything other than like special effects, <laughs> you know, at best. So you go in there, you enjoy the pew pew pews, and you just chill out and don't don't think about your taxes, don't think about <laughs> your dog that bit you, you know, you just move on and and experience. So what is what is Stealth? I don't remember that one. Stealth is the one where the the jet fighter has an AI in it and it, you know gets struck by lightning or something and goes rogue. The jet fighter does? Yeah, it's it's a, a I mean it's kind of weird calling it a drone but it's like a drone fighter and the the humans in the air force with it that are part of its wing of a squadron you know they're they're you know spam in a can traditional fighters and they're you know struggling to fight against it because it can take you know higher g maneuvers than they can and etc with josh lucas uh jamie fox and um i see her name i see it jessica beale i think mm-hmm. oh, okay oh yeah yeah yeah. okay i remember that one um did you ever see the clean eastwood movie where he's in a supersonic jet and, and uh, he goes rogue or something like that and Fire flying around the world what a horrible <laughs> firefox that was like a uh, vhs rental classic from the 80s yeah, oh yeah, definitely a rental. And you want your money back after renting it, too. Yep. Yep. That one and the and that Broken Arrow, that was another classic. Yeah. Jet Gone Rogue is a time. timeless yeah. Hollywood trope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it goes right back to 2001 Space Odyssey, right? There you go. Okay, I thought this was uh, this next story was from Jaime, or, is that, or am I mixing what we talked about last week with this week? Uh, last week, Jaime brought us the news that the... Marvel Netflix shows are coming to Disney Plus here in Canada. This oh, week, so this is your gift to him. This yeah, week, okay. the gift is returned to you. I, I volley it back to you, my friend, to say we actually found out that the same thing is going to happen in the United States. So they are coming to the. But they'll get it a week sooner than we will, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, they won't. Uh, so March 16th is the date that the. 
Marvel Netflix shows. So that's obviously Luke Cage, Iron Fist, The Defenders, Punisher, Daredevil, and Jessica Jones are all moving. Uh, they're all they're all off of Netflix effective now. And on the 16th, they're coming to a bunch of different markets, including Canada, and the United States. They also say in here it's coming to the UK, Ireland, Australia, and New Zealand on the same date. So luckily, uh, it'll it'll be moving there. Now the difference between Canada and the United States is that here we already had Star, and Star already came with uh, uh, something you have to enter when you log into your Disney Plus account. It basically says, "Are you an adult or are you a child?" And that way, you're not accessing the the content with you know naked people and and swear words and violence. So. In the United States, there haven't been any of that content because there is the, they have Hulu and Hulu is separate and so they don't really need that. But effective on the 16th, they are now going to be uh, prompting their users to upgrade their settings to put in your content rating restrictions and add a pin to lock your profiles if you so choose, if you have children. So. Well, is that why? So one of, one, of the, one of the apps I have out keeps asking me for a pin and I don't ever remember wanting to do that yeah in some cases it's yeah it's just just basically it's that lockout to keep your kids from watching stuff that is inappropriate for their age but uh like i make my kids don't know my pin seriously (laughs) (laughs) yes fair so jaime congratulations you're you're not locked out excellent excellent god forbid something not 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 lock out the americans this time (laughs) you can finally watch iron cage Iron Fist? Iron Fist. Iron yes. Fist. Yeah, yeah. That's one of maybe that's one of those things we put in the background while we're doing um you know chores instead of Paw Patrol, you know, two point or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. So now that you know that you have it, in the same way that you've known you had it all this time on Netflix, does it encourage you to want it? Does the fear of having lost it make it sweeter that you guys can can now watch this stuff that you haven't watched? It does make me think about Daredevil and Punisher out of the mm-hmm. ones that I didn't get a chance to see. So I might uh, might go back with those. Yeah. Yeah, I would recommend. Very both very good. Cool. Right. So here this this next link ans- answers the question. What if you have a, a universe of characters and you put out a bunch of shows and crossover episodes and everybody's confused as to what show they're watching? Um Disney Plus has come out with or yeah, I guess it's Disney Plus. Has come out with this Mandoverse trailer where they've they've finally given up and they've just put together a book of Boba Fett Boba Fett slash Mandalorian or I guess the other way around Mandalorian slash book of Boba Fett trailer, which mixes the two shows together and says, but you got to watch them both, right? Which is true, as we've we've talked about on this show before. But uh, so that's kind of interesting thing. thing There's a link in the in the sh- the link is in the in the article I've got linked here. But if you also, if you scroll way down to the bottom of this long, well, there's a nice cool uh, poster of uh, Cad Bane advertising the thing with, uh, I guess, I don't know what language that is, but it's not uh, some Star Wars-y thing. Um, and it looks, he looks real badass in it. But if you keep scrolling, this, this page won't scroll. But there is a spoiler or a pseudo spoiler for the upcoming Dr. Marvel movie. Dr. Marvel, Dr. Strange, Dr. What's his name again? Benedict Sherlock Holmes. I don't know. I get <laughs> the cape. Um, what's that called? Dr. No. Dr. Strange. Dr. Strange. I had it right the first time, right? Um, yeah. Captain Strange, Dr. Strange. And, and uh, there's a figure that got released, I guess, that that's the spoiler, right? The um, still scrolling. Come on. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Um. I don't know if I should say her name out loud on the show because it's, you know, an audio thing and the people don't click on this if they don't want to know, right? 
I have no idea who this is, but America Chavez. Yeah, she's. You can see her in the trailer, in the new trailer. Oh, okay. That, that's right. out there. Okay. So this is. So how is this? How is it? How is this article a spoiler? It says. Uh, it could have been previously, but in the trailer they released at the Super Bowl, you can spoiler. view. There's a scene where you clearly see America Chavez. Okay. All right. And she is. She is a member of the Young Avengers, which, as we've talked about in previous episodes is a thing that Marvel's clearly building towards. She has the ability to travel through uh uh different dimensions. So Oh so should we should we have watched that show before we go see this movie at at, at our leisure at our home, as we discussed earlier? Uh no, no. I mean there so We've talked about on previous things. So, you know, uh, young Hawkeye, the, the Kate Bishop Hawkeye, um, the grandson of um, the Patriot, the original Captain America, uh, you know, we, uh, Ant-Man's daughter. There's a, they're building a roster of uh, young Avengers from the comic books, and America Chavez is one of those. So this is just another piece in a puzzle that will probably unveil itself over the next couple of years. All right. Yeah, I'm getting. I'm not familiar with uh, America Chavez, but um, is it me or is there like a into the Marvel verse thing going on with Captain Marvel and like that sort of family tree of characters related to Captain Marvel? I didn't realize there were so many. Yeah, I mean, so. I think they already said that the the title for the new Captain Marvel movie that's coming out is is the Marvels, right? And I think it's supposed to tie in because they're doing the Ms. Marvel television show on Disney Plus this year that is going to introduce the the newest iteration of that character is also a member of the Young Avengers and is uh, a young Muslim woman. So um, they are going to, I think introduce her on the TV show and then bring her into the Brie Larson, Captain Marvel plus uh, the not Captain Marvel anymore character, but that we met in uh, WandaVision. And that is the uh, character that is now currently, I believe known as Photon. Maybe they changed her name again. I I can't remember. I think they changed it again. It was Photon. I can't remember if they've changed it again. She was known as Captain Marvel for a while. So anyway, I think the whole point of that's Monica Rambeau. So that's, um, her best friend's daughter that we meet as a little kid in the 1990s. And then now flash forward to the future, she showed up in one division and she pushed through the barrier and she seems to have gained powers. And now uh, I think we're going to see her pop up again in that. So they're building a whole sort of, um, for lack of a better term, you know, Captain Marvel core around all these other characters. So, okay, cool. And there's a bunch of information you may or may not have known and may or may not care about. Right. So, Jaime, you have a story here. Yeah. Um, apparently, there's a Twisted Metal series based on the PlayStation game that's coming to Peacock. And it stars uh, the Falcon, Anthony Mackie. How timely. They really they, they touched on something that's really at the heart of the zeitgeist right now. The Twisted Metal games from 1992. It's a little strange. Um, I don't know if somebody... That Peacock got wind of like, all right, so Paramount Plus is making a halo of things. Like, what do we got? What do we got? Like, uh, I think we can get Twisted Metal. Yeah, make that. <laughs> you can make it go pew, pew, pew real good, right? Yep. That's good, Lopez. That's good thinking. That's a racing game, right? It, it was like car, like car demolition derby. derby kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cars crash into each other, demolition derby style. They had like, you know, 
wacky guns and, yeah. and stuff. One of them was an ice cream truck. Yeah, we I, we wasted many hours playing that in college, I'll tell you. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. Yep. All right. Uh, next up. Good news, everyone. Good news, everyone. We talked about how Futurama is being rebooted by Hulu. And that there was one holdout who was not happy with the initial uh, financial settlement that they are financial offer that they made to reunite the original cast. That was John DiMaggio, who plays arguably the most famous character from the show, which is Bender. And so we got news this week that he is uh, joining the new reboot and that he has signed his agreement and he is very happy to be part of the gang again. Uh, joining Billy West, Katie Seagal, Tress McNeely, Maurice LaMarche, Lauren Tom, Phil Lamar, David Herman. Uh, so basically the whole original cast. And of course, John, uh, sorry, Matt Groening is uh, also back on board with David X. Cohen, the executive producer. So this is as Futurama as Futurama gets. It's the whole gang back together. So uh, if you had concerns and reservations, mm-hmm. good news, everyone. Yeah, definitely. Great show. Mm-hmm. Great show. Now, the question is, when do we get it here in Canada? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I have a question for you um, related to the next story. Mm. Uh, Did you ever watch the Ed Sullivan show when you were a kid? Uh, It was a bit before my time. Really? I mean, no, I guess. (laughs) If it was a bit before my time. (laughs) A bit bit before Honey's dad's time. I'm trying to think if I've actually ever sat and watched an episode, but I've seen clips. They used to have these guys, uh, I don't know if you've you ever seen the spinning plate trick? Like, oh, yeah, like yeah. The guys start spinning oh, yeah. plates and they have to keep them all in the air. Well, speaking of spinning plates. <laughs> yeah, this one I wanted to throw in. This is my uh, my news story of the week dedicated to my, my sons. So, and I love the headline they put on it from the, the folks at Gizmodo. Somehow, Paramount will turn Beyblade into a live action Somehow. movie. <laughs> um so Beyblades, for those who are not familiar, are these little toys. They are something that we had when I was a kid. We called them battle tops. You basically, you oh, have yeah. a, a solid bowl. Yes, right. You have yeah. a top. You let them rip. Like and a parabolic they, dish, right? Yep. It wasn't a parabolic dish. And they yeah. spin around and they bang into each other. And in theory, one of them falls over first. And the one that is still standing is the winner. It's a game that kids can play. And it's, it's you know, it's a timeless kids kind of toy. Reinvent in the 21st century as Beyblades, um, accompanied by uh, one of the single worst animated cartoons I've ever watched. Um, My sons were big fans, particularly my eldest, uh, who has been a guest on the show, loved it. So much so that for Halloween one year, not only did he dress up as the lead character, but I had to dress up as the lead character's father and my wife had to dress up as the lead character's mother. So that was a real that was a real thing. Um, it is, it is, it is just so, so puerile and so, so silly. And so every bad stereotype about anime for kids is, is, is embodied in this, this show. I can only hope that if they decide to do this, that perhaps they will take a different tack like they did by doing the Pokemon Detective Pikachu kind of thing. Maybe they'll go somewhere a little different with it, but uh, it's going to be a whole movie about um, people battling tops, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, do they win money if they get closer to the wall or something? I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know. I made Beyblades. Yeah. I have to admit, when I saw this in the show notes, 
I had to look it up. I was like, what am I thinking? I was like, oh, I'm thinking, see, you brought up Pokemon and just mm. as Pokemon had its Digimon competitor. Yep. yep. Apparently in my family, uh, for the younger cousins, we were a Bakugan family. And that's right. what I was thinking of, which yep. is like similar spinning top idea, but they're like little creatures in a sphere and they pop open sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, they're little so, magnets oh, right, and then yeah. they trigger them open. Yeah, we I think we had a couple of those for the kids, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Beyblades were, I mean, we legit must have dozens of those things and a couple of different battle arenas. And it was quite an event here for a number of years. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yep. They, yep. they so, may or may not still be saved in a box for future generations. Well, we had these, these uh, we had these wind-ups, I Oh, from Tomy or something like that, where they had, um, maybe you had these things, John, they were like a little, a little orb and it had a, um, a motor inside and a little rubber wheel. And you, 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 you scrub the wheel across the the floor. It had like, I forget what you call those kind of, um, kinetic motors mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you would spin it up and then it would stand up and then they would, they would flip around yep. they would flip upside down. And so you get like, you can make them balance each other i don't know if you did you ever remember those oh, I, re- I remember those yeah they again just a scotch before my time but i remember those being like you know hand-me-down toys what when i was a called? kid and they all had like different they had i mean i must have had a couple of them at least for sure now that i think about it but they had you know different characters and names and colors and... oh i mean so same that these these uh the, the beyblades have you know each one of them has a spirit and it's they you know, yeah. the, treat them like their children. Again, it it really is a riff off of the the idea of Pokemon. You know, you go to the battle arena and you have a big epic battle between your Beyblades. And man, they could make a two part, forty five minute, you know, combo episode out of a battle between two tops. It was it was really a heck of a thing. If you get a chance, I highly recommend just for for the amusement factor watching a couple episodes of the Beyblade cartoon. But I mean, it it went on for years. Like it was a very long oh, running. It, it, actually had a, it actually had a cartoon. And, yeah. You know, cartoon no, I, and you know, it's funny. We, we sort of, you know, we're mocking this obviously because it's not our thing, but for, you know, my son's generation, I'm sure there, there's probably some of them in there. They're like, cool. So, you know, if we can have our nostalgia, why can't they? Well, that brings us to the end of our headlines. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, we're here, here at the part of the show where we're talking about something Star Trek. And this time, bonus, we have two episodes of Star Trek to talk about, two different ones. So the first one up is Star Trek Discovery, Season 4, Episode 11. Don't worry, folks, it's almost over. Um, <laughs> two more, then, two more. <laughs> two more. And then uh, after this, so there's 13 episodes, one more episode? Two more. Yeah, know. 13 episodes. Yeah. Are we sure? Yeah, I sent you guys a uh, thing in our Slack channel the other day. Oh, okay, all right, and then then we'll be talking about uh, Jean Luc Picard mm-hmm. after that, Mon Capitaine. So anyway, we'll lead off with Discovery. Jonathan's doing the recap. By the way, before we get into that, I just want a real time follow up. The name of those toys I was talking about were called Wizards. Wizards, okay, with a W H. Yes, Wizards. 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 Like whizzers, cool whip. Yes. Like cool whip. Yes, Wizards. Now I have to go on eBay and find one. <laughs> well, you, you do that and I'll give you the recap. Okay, so here we are. This is episode 11 of 13 for Discovery. So we're sort of heading into the home stretch here. Obviously, last week's episode was about getting through the Great Barrier. Now that we're on the other side of the barrier, it's, hey, there's a planet there on the way to go talk to Species 10C. Let's pop into this planet and check out what's going on to see if we can uh, figure out a few things about them before we go in cold to the negotiations. So, uh, the mission is going to be Saru and Culber 
and Burnham and Detmer going down to the planet to try and find clues to try and understand a little bit more about Species 10C. They go down to the planet and... Well, wait, they do answer the question, why is the captain and why is Burnham going down on the way mission? Well, yeah, because she's an expert in... Um, well, she's a xenobiologist. Xenobiology, right? Yeah, and yeah. Saru is going with her because the, the president stops them right at the, off the hop and sort of says, why are both of you going? Which is the question that everyone always asks. Like, why would they send both of them? Uh, but they say that because Saru speaks a hundred languages and because he is so attuned to... And this works out really well in this episode, I have to yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's very attuned that uh, he therefore is also ideal. Detmer is their best pilot, so of course she's going to fly them. And uh, Culber is their because he is a physician. So they go down to the planet and um, they are, uh, oh, sorry, before they go down to the planet, so they're, they're headed down towards the planet. Then we check in with Book and with Tarka. They have also made it through the Great Barrier and are currently cloaked and hiding from Discovery, trying to figure out what they can do next to carry out their mission. So while the Discovery is trying to find a way to negotiate with Species 10C to get them to stop the DMA that's just threatening to destroy Earth and Navarre and other planets in the Alpha Quadrant, their plan is to uh, destroy or uh, stop the DMAs from being able to contribute, to steal the power source so that Tarka can use it to uh, join his best friend in the uh, alternate dimension. So, the two of them come up with this plan where they are basically going to uh, latch themselves onto the hull of the Discovery while still cloaked and therefore get themselves through. But in order to do that, they need to uh, go and fix some little MacGuffin in the engineering department of the Discovery so that Zora, the sentient ship's computer, does not recognize that they are there. Hence, we get the infiltration mission, which is going to be Book and Tarka uh, sneaking aboard Disco and trying to uh, change this little MacGuffin. Uh, so we go down to the planet and um, Saru is starting to have these visions, his reflexes for, you know, the, the imminent coming of death, which we saw really pronounced on the first couple of seasons of, uh, of this show, where he, before he sort of emerged or evolved into his final form, uh, speaking of Pokemon, um, we got, you know, his, his sort of hyper reactions to, uh, you know, the threat of death. And now, of course, he's 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 spooked. He's feeling really weird. Um, they discover this weird set of gigantic bones on the planet. They discover these weird sort of piles of um, dust, which they say are hydrocarbons. They're trying to figure out, you know, what they are. And, but Saru's kind of getting a little weird. Um, we get a, uh, a couple of little digression scenes, which I won't spend too much time on, where, where uh, the Kovic 2.0, the, uh, the uh, I can't recall the person's name. I wrote it down last week, but I didn't write it down this week. Dr. Harai, the astrolinguistic xenophonologist theoretical semiotics expert uh, was kind of being a, a tool when Burnham and, his, and her crew left the ship. And so the president kind of says, you know, hey, lighten up, stop being so Kovici. And uh, 
spying on, uh, so we, we get a, a glimpse inside what's going on with Book and Tarka. They're hiding in the walls. They think they can sneak through the cafeteria to try and get through uh, to take a shortcut, but they end up spying on the delegates. They spy on uh, Ndoye, and um, she's the leader of the Earth, and they see her talking with uh, the President Tarina of Navarre, and Ndoye is clearly still favoring a more uh, militaristic approach, which she voted for, if you'll recall, a number of episodes back. And that got, gets Book sort of going, hmm, back to the planet. Uh, on, now that, you know, Saru is getting worse, he's, he's really having a tough time. Culber, as the doctor, starts checking him out. And then, of course, Culber starts having these reactions. So now you're thinking, okay, is this like something communicable? But they're all wearing their spacesuits. So why are they all getting uh, space crazy? And what's going on there? Uh, back to the ship. Book uh, tells uh Tarka, you know, you go deal with the MacGuffin in engineering. I'm going to talk to Endoye and see if I can get her to sort of join our side. Back down to the planet. Uh, Detmer is um, uh, the the fear factor is now taking over everybody. And uh, now Burnham is starting to have the reactions. And so she's getting all weirded out and scared and, and you know, panicky. And the only person that's not feeling that is Detmer. And Detmer is fine. And they're trying to figure out, OK, in spite of the fact that they're going through this crisis, why is Detmer fine and they're not? They basically sort of bash it around and they're, you know, uh, trying to sort of solve that issue. Quick cut back to the discovery. We get a uh, fun scene between Reno and um, Tal, uh, Adira. So Reno is basically saying, you know, uh, you know, you know, so Adira basically says, you know, oh, you know, isn't, isn't um, Detmer the coolest thing since sliced bread? And, and Reno sort of says, you know, yeah, you know, Probably should, you know, actually go speak to her. She's just a person just like everybody else. She puts her pants on one leg at a time. You know, don't don't put her up on a pedestal. She's, you know, she's not anything better than you. She's just a different person. So, you know, maybe you need to deal with that. And that comes back around later in the episode. Back down to the planet. And um, they figure out, of course, at this point that it's that... The, the dust, the the part, particulates in the air that they keep touching and they keep making contact with are uh, these hydrocarbons. They are clearly affecting them because it's like nothing they've ever encountered before and therefore their suits don't know how to compensate for blocking them out. So they fix their suits and sure enough, they're all feeling better and, you know, hooray, we've solved the problem. We go back up to Disco, and in trying to lure the last few people out of engineering, they've uh, sabotaged the uh, the food replicators that are making steamed bananas, which I thought was a funny line. Uh, Book finally gets Ndoye into a uh, secluded corridor and talks to her and says, you know, hey, can we you know, count on you to be on our side? And she says essentially yes so she's going to be the eyes and ears for the two of them inside and in turn book promises that if the negotiations uh, go well if the first contact effort goes well that they will stand down and will not just take matters into their own hands he says yes but of course tarka wasn't there and tarka's already proven that he is a uh, capital d d bag so um 
back down to the planet. They encounter another pile of uh, these hydrocarbons, and Burnham takes a chance trying to figure out, well, what potentially could these ones be? They're not the same ones that we've encountered before. She turns off her filters and touches them, and of course now she starts to feel love and happiness and contentment and security, and they start putting two and two together and realize that that where the place they're actually in was a nursery, and that the... Um, the hydrocarbons are actually potentially a way of communicating using emotions. And so they start to put two and two together that this could be the breakthrough that they need to actually speak to species 10 C and therefore uh, have a, have a breakthrough. So big, big turning point for them. Uh, so then we go back up to the engineering. Tarka has dis successfully distracted everybody. They've gone to go fix the steamed bananas. He goes in there, he fixes his MacGuffin, and he's trying to sneak out. But of course, Reno comes back sooner, catches him in the act, and sort of says, you know, tell me you're here for a surprise party. Uh, and so they're more sort of left trying to figure that out. Um, the away team comes back with a couple of the compounds in tow. They have since then, they basically give you the plot exposition, which is they've identified 16 different compounds that all elicit different types of emotional responses. Uh, good mission. Well done. They even get a nice clap on the back from Dr. Harai, who gets a bit of a stink eye from the president uh, and it says, oh, well, good yeah, job, he everyone. He goes out of his way to make a compliment. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, they're they're hoping that this can be their Rosetta Stone, that this can help them understand uh, and find a, a mutual way of, of communicating with Species 10C, which will obviously head towards in the next episode. Uh, the president, Tarina, uh, offers Saru a hearty congratulations and says, if this has been such a stressful day for you, perhaps you'd like to go for a stroll in the holodeck, which is uh, a, a really sexy Vulcan come on. And... Um, they reveal at this point that there's only 25 hours left before the uh, DMA is supposed to start knocking out planets in the Alpha Quadrant. And Book is watching through the walls. He can see Burnham. And so he sort of sees, he knows what's going on. He knows what the timeline is. And as the episode starts to wind down, we get a nice scene where uh, Adira goes and speaks to Detmer, and the two of them have a little sort of bonding session. Uh, Detmer sort of makes fun of her a little bit, and the two of them sort of, uh, you know, start to connect. So it's a nice, nice moment between the two of them. Uh, Burnham and Culber have a good conversation, and Culber admits that he's, you know, still struggling mightily, and and that he's still not recovered from the breakdown we saw from him a few episodes back, and uh, and Burnham sort of says, you know, of course you're not, like, they've had no chance to stop, so of course you haven't had time to heal. And from there we end up back on Book's ship, where Book transports back out and says, okay, everything's in place, we got Endoya on our side, we got the MacGuffin, we're glued to the bottom of Discovery, we're going wherever they go, all forward on the mission, and uh, turns the corner and finds Reno being held hostage by Tarka. So, we leave with a sassy line from Reno. Yeah. Yeah, imagine coming home and finding a hostage situation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was interesting. I kind of wondered what was happening with uh, when when Tarka gets sort of found out, and then... Uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious crazy. about that one, because she kind of has the tables on him. Now, admittedly, he's, yeah. he's you know, obviously a larger person, he's and crafty. he's yeah. pretty crafty, but I still feel like Reno's... I, I don't. I don't want to say smarter than him. Well, she's a Starfleet officer. She would have been trained in combat. And, yeah, and know. he's he. You know, again, he's very, very. Um, uh, he's a very, very intelligent person. But I don't know that he necessarily has the, um, um, you know, Starfleet 
martial arts training or anything else, you know? So Technically, yeah, like you said, he, she finds him cowering underneath a table and, and she's obviously got the upper hand you would think at that point in time. Well, right? and at the very least, like she has a uh, personal transporter attached to her shirt. Could she not have just tapped it and gone through and then Bye-bye. sent yeah, in exactly. 20 security officers to shoot holes full of, you know, anyways. All right, so this was another glue episode. We got a little bit more advancement on understanding Species 10C. We get a little bit of, you know, closer to the final goal line on this as we tee up for our last two episodes. But overall, yeah. not not a momentous episode. Still, you know, just sort of building, more building. Like watching paint dry. A little really. more building. Uh, yeah, yeah, What uh, Tim, Tim, you obviously have strong feelings about this one. You want to lead us off? <laughs> Well, I, I don't have strong feelings about this one. It was probably a snooze fest more than anything else. In fact, I like it was so boring. I stopped following what they were talking about when they were in the nursery part, and just I heard the word nursery and went, "Oh, okay, sure, whatever." They'll explain it later. But <laughs> yeah, I just I just found that whole visiting this dead planet part like just not exciting. No, like no pew pew, you know. Like, but it wasn't meant to be a pew pew part, though, right? No, I know, I get that. What, what what I'm saying though, it was a it was a real snooze fest. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I get. I get that they were trying to explain that, you know, or I guess trying to demonstrate that there was some mysterious force happening. Some, some mysterious thing was affecting um, uh, Seru at first. And like, like they, they answered the question I didn't even think to ask was just, well, how come this is going through his suit? Right. Mm-hmm. Like um, they had to sort of explain that to me. Cause like, it was obviously like, I don't know, just wasn't really, it didn't really say much for me. And then, you know, the, the, Tarka is such a brilliant tactician and, and software genius, but he has to physically go and install the patch, mm. right? Um, and then you know they, of course they've they figured they they figure out a way they have to go in and fool Zora into not think not recognizing the fact that the ship is like glommed to the side of them, like you know like uh, we call those things that attach themselves on the side of sharks, but. Um, so this is why they have to install this patch. And yet, so how did they get this close? How did they get into the actual ship itself? Like, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, just stuff that didn't make sense, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, right? Especially since, like, these, the whole ship would be on edge if they were in this other universe, right? And they they're in, in a place they've never been before. You'd think that they'd be watching things pretty carefully, right? So um, it was kind of funny the way they, they, they solved the, um, or uh, Tarka got them to go and investigate all the replicators by what, producing hot dogs or something like? Steamed bananas. On mass. Steamed bananas, yes, on, on mass, yeah. And, and uh, that was kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, it's kind of weird the way he caught the drop on it. I, I like the fact the way, I mean, the, the part where Book and, and the um, leader of Earth decide to, you know, go in cahoots and he helps him out a little bit too, right? So. Yeah, I don't know. Is it a real filler episode? Like, yeah, they they probably could have done this episode in half the time they did. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, it, it, to me, it felt like a an opportunity to to try and give a little bit of time to some different characters. But like even last week's episode, it felt like they were kind of touching on too many. Like, there's so many players on the stage. There's a lot of stuff going on, but. I, not in a not in a terribly negative way. Like, I didn't feel as strongly as about you. I thought, well, I thought, it didn't bounce around too much. Yeah, that was I good, don't think yeah. Star Trek always needs to be pew pew pew. As a matter of fact, I kind of enjoy these. We have a mystery on a planet. Let's figure it out. It's that to me seems more traditionally Trek than just the all pew pew pew. Which this season has been a little a lot of pew 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 and a lot less of this. So I I didn't mind that as much. Jaime, what uh, what was your take on all this? Yeah, I think. Uh, 
this episode doesn't feel as bad as some of the problems we've seen with pacing in disco over the, mm. the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't understand, you know, they're getting better just to be fair, but I don't understand why they don't say, all right, we've got 10 episodes. It's all one or 13 episodes. It's all one story. Uh, guess what? We're going to outline every single episode and make sure that if something is a little too packed, we move stuff around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead, it seems like they sort of have the vaguest direction of where they're going. And they're like, oh my gosh, there's only two episodes left. Better hold my beer. Uh, or in this case, it sounds like, oh my gosh, uh, we're a little short. Okay, stretch out this one a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I think they would have less of that issue if they, you know, were more episodic. So we'll see what happens with um, with Picard, which we'll talk about soon. And we'll well, see I was going to say, the, the, problem, the biggest problem they had was that it was right after, like, they showed Picard, and then they showed this. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, Picard was, was far and away a much better episode than, than this was. Yeah, and we'll talk I mean, probably a little bit about how I think the first episode of Picard seems to try to address a lot of the problems from the first season, like, in a very quick fashion. Uh, but before we go there, um, I'm kind of of the opinion that the reason this particular episode exists... Um, is to establish the uh was it hydrocarbons thing yep the blue dust yep and i'm almost certain that um what you're gonna have is a a book and michael scene where she's convincing him to try to do the right thing and the right thing is gonna be uh shoving his face into a big (laughs) bowl of dust like he's tony montana from scarface (laughs) and using that because remember he's an empath right using that to communicate with 10c where yeah. they don't have to use words, they use the feelings, and Tensei is going to be like, oh, this ta- bad thing was happening? I guess we'll turn off the DMA here and stop, you know, burr grinding our coffee or whatever it is that they're doing with, the, <laughs> with it, right? This super advanced species. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're really on the right track. I mean, it occurred to me uh, as in watching this one, too, um, that when they started talking about like how it heightens your feelings and stuff like that, I thought, well, yeah, books got the strongest feelings of all. He's got the sadness at losing his planet. That'll probably be the most powerful thing that they could use as a, as a talking point. Right. And then, you know, again, maybe it's both of them. Maybe it's Tarka too, because Tarka has this sort of loss of his friend and desire to move on. And so, yeah, I think you're right. I think it it's too big of a coincidence that all these things are coming I mean, together. Tarka does have the soft, chewy center, right? Like he, he, you can get at that. You can break through the shell because he, he obviously had feelings for Oros or whatever his name was last mm-hmm. week, right? He, mm-hmm. de- you know, he developed empathy for him, even though he's meant to be opposing him initially, right? Yeah. But no, I, I like the I like the theory. I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, like it makes more sense for for Book to be the the glue here because, yeah. like you said, he is the empath. He, much like Saru's got the languages. Mm-hmm. This isn't about talking, you know, this is about, you know, um, this is the, the way this, this, um, species communicates is through this, these hydrocarbons, right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's more empathetic than vocal, right? Yeah. Yeah. I do think that, uh, the other half to the Tony Montana thing was, uh, Jet Reno, because Tark, Tarka wants to, to peace out of this universe and go to the other one is probably going to use the power of the DMA to help Tarka along. Right. Of like, all right, I'm an engineer. I can help you with this part. See ya. Bye bye. Go on. Sort of thing. I could see so that. I think, I think that's why Jet Reno was, was ultimately kidnapped as a character. That's why I would think that they're moving that chess piece on the board. And in terms of getting the drop on, on folks, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily agree with the way that they did it, but Starfleets are not 
gun twitchy the way that like the Klingons or the Romulans would be, right? Mm-hmm. So I think you guys are thinking it from it in a in a non Starfleet way of like what I would have done is definitely pulled my <laughs> gun out and shot the guy, <laughs> right? And then if if I miss, I like beam out of there and then tell security, hey, this guy's over here, find him. Um, instead, because he is you know like Macaulay Culkin crafty kind of thing, he probably had like something in his mouth or something that he spit out, and it's like a little. Uh, you know, uh, a nano virus thing that like incapacitates or something, right? He, he had that weird trap for uh, the the Discovery shuttle that he mm-hmm. didn't even tell book about. So it doesn't surprise mm-hmm. me that he was prepared with weird random stuff. It did occur to me, and, and it's a good point, Jaime, you know, it, it, I think the darker turn that modern Trek has taken, if you'll, if you'll allow me that broad statement, made me think for just a second, oh, it would be a hell of a twist, because Reno just did have a nice moment with Adira previous to that. It would be a really dark twist if they went back to the ship and Book sort of said, you know, any problems? And Tarka said no, and then they cut back to Enterprise and you found uh, Reno either dead or beaten or just something that shows like Tarka is not going to be denied. You know what I mean? Like some sort of dark turn there. I'm glad because I really enjoy uh, the the Jet Reno character. I'm glad that's not what happened. But just for a fleeting second, it crossed my mind. Ooh, this could get really like they could really show you how serious Tarka is versus because Book's first impulse is I see an opportunity to find a way here where we can protect the discovery crew and complete our mission. Whereas Tarka was like, listen, we're here for the mission. The end, like I want my power and I want to go home. It it occurred to me just for a second, maybe he would do something that extreme to get what he wants. And that would really establish the stakes for the character. As I say, I'm glad that didn't happen, but it, it did, it did cross my mind that they could go to that place to show you who he is. And it's also the interesting position as to why they bring they bring back Jet Reno as a character, for, especially from the point of view of the LGBT connection, right? That she's advising um, Adira. Yeah, what's her name again? Adira. Adira Tal, yeah. She's advising Adira on on relationships, if you will, right? Yeah. And because that's you know she's sort of without saying too much, she's saying she's interested in in Detmer. Um, and did you get that in a romantic sort, way? Did you get the sense that she was talking well, about that? I, I don't know if it's a romantic. I mean, I, it's hard to read that kind of relationship, but that's that's the impression I got as to why the, the character. Because it, it didn't Detmer come out recently? Uh, like it, the actress in in real life came out and said that she she was able to come out because of this season of of Star Trek, right? Or Discovery. Um, well, she's she's one of a number of out. Um, no, I know, show, but, she, but yeah. she she mentioned at the beginning. I think we, I don't know if we talked about it or I read it somewhere. But she she just recently came out at the beginning at the start of this season after filming the season. Uh, okay, you know, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, Emily Coots is the the actress's name. Yeah, she's, yeah, so, she's great. Yeah, so I mean, you know, again, um, but anyway, like the 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 interesting that I, I thought maybe she was just there to make that that connection, but now having her here in the show and having her sort of running running engineering while um stamets is off you know doing his math puzzle right mm-hmm. um makes makes sense but and then but then also like like Kami said the chess piece moving her on to booker's ship to to assist the th- them as a sort of trio of yeah. brilliant people right yeah. no it wouldn't make sense mm-hmm. to just introduce her and have her be in that one scene you had to sort of bring her back for 
larger purpose, you'd think. And yeah, no, I, I think Jaime's right, definitely they, on the right track. They tend track. to bring her in for very small, you know, one-offs or two-offs. Like they, like she does, she's not in every episode. Like she's a, rec- she's a special guest kind of character, right? Yeah, and and again, I think obviously COVID has something to do with that as far as the shooting logistics. But I think it's also, you know, she's so good. She's so good in that role. I think. You wouldn't want to see her in every episode, even though she does, like, obviously steal scenes and everything else. I think she's way better deployed in this kind of way, where she sort of sneaks right. in, yeah. has a couple of Yoda lines, and says something really wisecracky, and then moves on. And, you know, we see her well, a couple of I guess she's later. kind of the Guinan of this series, in, a, in that sense. Well, she's, Guinan you know, we, we forget the circumstances there. that we met her in, where, you know, obviously she was, you know, crashed and lived alone on the Hiawatha, and, you know, had a pretty hard run. And, you know, so now I think she's she's got a pretty zen way of looking of looking at things now right yeah yeah mm-hmm. and she does drop that hiawatha story as mm-hmm. well did cool. uh did anyone think that there's a missed merchandising opportunity that really we should do is get detmer's face on the t-shirt and then put fly good because that's like her thing right? <laughs> <laughs> so when people tell her captain pike said it uh, you know they said it in this episode fly good I think it's, it's merch merch idea right there yeah. there you go there you go For sure well, I'm sure it's going to come out like you, you probably just hit It's probably already in production. Create an NFT, it. Tim. Get on it. <laughs> well, it's because, I mean, she literally said, like, you know, never say that again, right? Or never bring that up in public again. Yeah. After realizing how dumb it was to say. Like good. But it's obviously, it's the kind of thing that a newbie would say to to someone that they're, you know, admire or, fashion, you know, sort of an awkward, what, I got to say something. This is what came out of my face. I'm sorry I said it, you know, sort of thing. Yeah, I think we've all put our feet in our mouths in front of people we admire. That's true. Yeah, that's for sure. Cool. All right. Well, so let's move on to to Picard, season one, season two, episode one. And and as I said, I wasn't really going to talk about that angle. But it's a good point that, that there was a lot of, I mean, they sort of had, you know, an ensemble ca- uh, cast last uh, season. Um, and they had to sort of touch on each one of them in this introductory episode, I suppose. Um, but you know, they, they, they started the show with a really unique art angle for Star Trek. They started with a red alert and the ships under fire and, and a huge battle. They've never done that before. Um, and, uh, you know, the only thing that was missing was the red Corvette or the red Corvette stingray with, uh, you know, the, the soundtrack from, um, Beastie Boys playing. <laughs> but anyway, so we start off with the ship under attack and, uh, you know, you know the, they're being, they're, um, Systems are being redirected, you know, uh, I forgot her name now, Alison Pill's character is yelling and Allison everybody's Girardi. upset. Or, uh, sorry, Alison yeah. Girardi, it's uh, Agnes Girardi. Agnes Girardi, yeah. And then, uh, I have that later in my notes, but she uh, she's yelling about how they're being taken over and they're losing control and, and Picard's like leaning over like in in his old man role, um, struggling as to what to do, even though he's not the captain of the ship at this point, he's the admiral. But he starts an auto-destruct um, Auto destruct or the, the typical um, auto destruct uh, sequence to you know as they, they the, the starship trope to to destroy the ship when they're when they've lo- lost all control and they can't have the enemy take over their their uh, their ship right and this is a we find out later in the episode this is a really unique ship it's just been so first of its type um, and then you hear the word Picard or somebody says Picard in a sort of ominous voice and um, fade to white and then next thing we know we're back on chateau picard and 48 hours earlier um i missed that the first time i watched it when it went through but uh yeah and so we're back on the you know back with the robo vineyards where the machines are helping you know um gather the grapes and uh 
Laris is there working in the new version of Cork Express there in design, <laughs> you know, working on the label for the wine bottles. Um, and uh, a few minutes later, we, that evening, Picard and Laris are sitting down for a glass of wine, and she's musing about the fact that he's musing about the fact that she must be missing her partner. We find out that it's a year and a half later from where season two ended. Season one ended, I guess. Um, and she tells him how, you know, like in, in relationships, you know, uh, Romulans kind of fall in love with one sort of person and they, and they love deeply for a long period of time. And she kind of asks Picard why he's always sort of been alone in his relationships and they kind of lean closer and closer and closer. And then Picard kind of pulls back and, you know, so they have a near kiss, but not quite. And he he had he does say in in the, uh, the beginning of that part that is one of his favorite days on earth, uh, or this was one of his favorite days on earth. And she t- says something to him, I guess, in Romulan that uh, seize the day, seize today, for we know nothing of tomorrow. Um, anyway, so and he later on he's in this greenhouse. It, 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 the beginning of this this, ser- this show, and I think last year too, they you know bits of falling glass. Um, so the part of his his house is this greenhouse solarium where uh, we flash back into the past where he and his mother are, are there talking about uh, things. And uh, she says, you know, this can be our special place where we can come and hang out and, you know, wait, your brother's off at school and your dad's doing whatever he's doing with his wine. Um, and uh, Picard says, or Jean-Luc says to his mother, will you fight less if we do, if we come here? And, and of course, then they show scenes of them, the parents arguing. And she sort of says, well, you know, her inspiration to her is just come in here and, you know, look up, look up into the sky and, Imagine how tiny our our voices are in in the grand scheme of things when you go into space. Um, and her basically just says, "Look up the stars, look up," is and and that'll come back in a bit. Um, and then we flash forward to the USS Avalon, which uh, discovers an anomaly in space, and they beam they send a message back to um, Starfleet, and you you see sort of this green, you know. Fisher appearing in the universe as, as you know anomalies normally do right um picard's back in his study and he sees fumbling around looking for a book and as laris comes in he's looking for a green special green book and uh she of course knows exactly what he's talking about runs over to the bookshelf and gives him hands him the book that he's looking for and uh he's asks her you know uh, sorry about the you know he wanted to talk awkwardly about what happened the night before and she just sort of said you know i'm i we're too old for this and and i'm too old for awkward it would have just been awkward so let's just move on and you know don't worry about it you're just being who you are you're like like uh kirk he's you know a star man and that's where he sort of goes looking for answers right um and she, the one funny thing she says to to him, like in the age of transporters, you're the only person I know that could be late for things, yeah. right? So <laughs> he's giving a speech at the academy uh, where you know a bunch of grad, graduates are there, and um, um, he's in his speech. His speech is about the the final frontier, which we've heard about a thousand times before on on Star Trek. And he says the true final frontier is not space, but time, and that, that'll come obviously full circle in a little bit but um yeah and he he basically tells the the students about the inspiration that he got from his mother about looking up into the sky and uh you know think about you know the the thing about time is we don't get a chance to sort of look we don't get a second chance you know or we have we often think about what we don't think about what we have done we think about what we could have done um which is generally a theme of getting older and having regrets but he says he wants to sort of shout out to elnor who's now joined uh, Starfleet as the hundred, first 100% Romulan uh, member of Starfleet. So, yay for him. 
Um, and he mentions that he's the last Picard in the long line of Picards. And uh, I thought he was going to hand the baton to somebody, but he didn't. Um, and yeah, he says, and he repeats his mother's words and says, look up, look, look, look up and see what's out there. And uh, meanwhile, um, we flash over to Seven, who's running around the uh, storage unit or, or on a ship or something like that, protecting these medical supplies that she's gathered for, she's still doing her, her um, how do you call it, uh, mercenary work. Uh, helping the unfortunates, and uh, in the battle, she's battling you know, two or three pilots, pirates, who are you know bad mouthing her for being a Borg, and of course she's got with her hollow Doctor Rios, um, helping her as you know, and, and apparently he can like not only holographic, but he can also become solid and attack people and stuff like that, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah, and so they, the two of them basically uh, win the battle and defeat the bad guys and stuff like that. And uh, then he tells her that uh, he's noticed a, an anomaly. And this is a part where I always think about this, right? He finds a space anomaly with massive tachyons and Hawking distortions, is what he says, right? Absolutely, another shout out to Stephen Hawking. But it's interesting because he reaches, like, as a hologram, he reaches down and touches the holographic or, I don't know, motion-sensitive or tap gesture recognizing you know um consoles that they use in the future and the first question i had to my ask to myself is well if he's a computer generated thing why does he actually physically have to touch the console mm. to make it do stuff anyway he, he tells her that he's found this 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 same anomaly that that uh the avalon found earlier so they decide off to go off and head off and check that in thing and then coming back to the sort of like pl- you know playing the part of where are all the people we see, I think her name is so- Soya. How do you say her name again? The synthetic being Sochi, that was the, the main. So, yeah, she, I, I think spell check um, messed up my thing. Yes. Soji? Uh, yeah, I think it's S O J I, right? Yeah, Soji. Yeah, it's, you can see spell check has messed it up on here. But um, she's talking about, you know, how wonderful it is now that, you know, uh, Starfleet has accepted syn- as synthetics as a, as a life form. That was the whole, she was the MacGuffin in the, in the first series that, uh, First season that you know that that she was synthetic and they weren't supposed to have synthetics, blah blah blah. Um, and Doctor Agnes Girardi is there at the party, um, just at the bar, you know, having a few. Um, when she gets uh, called away by Captain Rios to come to join his ship, because uh, he's discovered an anomaly. Imagine that, right? Um, and it turns out that it's actually that she she does have an interchange with the with a uh, gentleman who tries to you know have her join him for a dance but that's kind of like eh, pointless um, anyway uh so she beams up to the the rios um and uh she talks about the, it's the name of the ship is the uss stargazer and you know um she says to rios uh that you know it's kind of you you've picked basically picked up picard's baggage by having by having a ship named the stargazer and he says to the crew, Dale, like andale you know kind of thing when they kind of look at him like what and he goes make it so and then <laughs> So they they beam off to to investigate the uh, the anomaly, um, and then we're back at Starfleet and they do so a little bit of uh, Starfleet Academy name drops. Uh, the one one person gets assigned to go join the uh, Hikaru Sulu, Sulu the, yeah, the USS Hikaru Sulu, yeah, Hikaru Sulu, and then uh, and then the uh, Nagata, I think is it wasn't that mm-hmm. um, or who was name? Yeah, Nagata, and then it's sent to the Grissom, and Grissom's another shout out name from he's the guy who kills himself Japan. in Star Trek Two. The guy who goes insane, okay. who's the checkoff? That's Grissom. Okay, cool. All right. Um, and then we, of course, we see Rafi. Uh, she's now a commander. Um, she's in charge of one of the ships, and she's um, 
going to be taking Cadet Elnor to to her ship, um, and where she can keep an eye on him and kind of thing. And uh, in conversation with Picard, he mentions to her that he's now the Chancellor of the Academy, so he gets to stay on Earth and and you know talk to the young younglings about uh, how to use lightsabers and stuff. And that transporter right. commute from uh, uh, Burgundy, France to uh, to San Francisco, man, that beats traffic. Like, mm-hmm. that's, the, yeah, that's the way to do it. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Well, traffic in Paris can be pretty bad if you don't have a transporter. That's it. Sure. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he gives Elnor, it turns out the book he was looking for earlier was Spock's book. And of course, it, Spock had written a book about his struggles as being a, a soul or one of the few Vulcans at the, at the Academy. Did you spot the title of the of book? Of course. Uh, no, I didn't. What was the title? The Many and the One. Many and the One. Okay, right. And and the one quote that uh, Spock or Picard says out of the book is, exhilaration enhances the absorption of knowledge. In other words, he says, live a little. Um, so, uh, can I just stop? Right, there's one quick thing there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. it's supposed to have been the, the only time passage thing that we get officially between two, 18, 18 months yeah, they say yeah. 18 months but they say 18 months since the passing of um her partner, her partner yeah. Jaban. but they don't say how long before that was that picard came back and everything else elnor would have had to have gone and passed all through starfleet academy now admittedly he was already very talented in some areas so perhaps he skipped a few things but 18 months is not going to get you through starfleet academy to the point where you're assigned to a starship well hopefully not (laughs) so to me it feels like 18 months is not the accurate amount of time that we've had passed between season one and two didn't didn't the other guy get killed in the first season no we never saw him die we never saw we never saw that fate. We don't know what happened. I, I suspect that they perhaps that actor just couldn't come back and so they, they just wrote him oh, to they death. Wrote him out? Okay. But no, I, I looked it I looked it up because I was like, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I remember there being a conflict at one point and I remember him getting into a fight, but I don't remember him dying at all. And I looked it up and, and Memory Alpha says we have not seen J Bond's death. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, and also, but also from a plot point of view, maybe maybe this is just a convenience of the actor not being available. Is that they could do this relationship sort of like tease with um, Picard and and um, Laris, right? Yeah. Um, because because she becomes important later. In, and in, can in I just say well. that a Romulan with an Irish accent is extremely sexy? Oh, I know. Oh my oh. god. <laughs> I know. Francia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Cheers, buddy. Yeah. yeah. I'll drink to that. Yeah. Um, sorry, we both have we both have Irish grandmothers, and we're sort of, we're susceptible to their their charm. Yes, yeah. I mean, apparently um, Picard as well wasn't um, didn't work on him. wasn't Wasn't Beverly Crusher Irish as well? Scottish. He was yeah. Scottish. Dang it, I misremembered that. So they went to Scottish planet, not Irish planet. I couldn't remember. Yeah, no, I think that was supposed to be yeah, the Highlands. Yeah. 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 Well, there's a whole Brigadoon sort of thingy, right? That she had going there with that ghost yeah. guy. Yep. All right. Was that supposed to be a Scottish planet? I, I guess it was, right? Um, yeah. yeah. So now we're back on the on the uh, Stargazer with the, the crew, and uh, they get a hail, and it turns out that it's Seven of Nine has hailed them, and she wants to come and join them in their sort of exploration of, of the anomaly, or at least they're in the same neighborhood, so let's get together and have some, you know, some, some Starbucks or whatever. Um, and, uh, while they're, while they're, uh, in communication with each other, they all of a sudden get some loud static coming through the anomaly and, uh, 
there's messages upon like a whole stream of like information coming in and so um Dr. Girardi heads over to the comm to... Who's you know, clearly still half in the bag, by the way. Oh, she's totally fried, <laughs> yeah. Uh, she she crawls underneath the, the arm thingy that, you know, sort of separates the, the bridge from the rest of the place. But And, and of course, the comms officer looks at her like, what is going on here? And cause clearly, like you said, like not, not altogether, you know, st- stable enough to be on the bridge, never mind uh, at the controls. And um, so... You know, he just he just sort of Rios just says to her, "It's better just to just yeah, let her do what she's got to do." Uh, so she very quickly determines that it's not just one um, single message; it's a series of messages, multiple languages, and she eliminate she breaks them down to like one single uh, sort of voice, voice as it were. And uh, it all, basically what you hear is Picard, help us, Picard, help us, mm. over and over again, and. Um, so there we go. And then meanwhile, back on planet Earth, now that Picard has done his his uh, his visit to the Academy, he decides to go and, you know, get a quick one before he's going to head home. So he beams down to a bar called Ten. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it turns out it's Guinan's bar. And then, of course, is there uh, Whoopi Goldberg playing Guinan again. Um, and the two of them sort of, you know, um, comparing their ages and that kind of stuff. Apparently, she's 200 years old to his 100 years old, um, and they tell that Elonians age slower unless um, they choose to. That. So, unless they choose to, yeah. So she chooses at this point to sort of be similar to what her age would be on. Nice way of writing in. How did Whoopi Goldberg go from what she looked like in the uh, original TNG yeah, to now, to where she is now? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Called that thought for, for later in that episode because they do something similar later. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, she's yeah. She, She's wearing one of those, what do you call those uh, those things you wear when you're large? It's just like a big, big uh, sheet thing. Anyway, has a name. Um, like a moon kind of but, thing? Yeah, yeah, just sort of like, yeah, just sort of an all-encompassing, doesn't really show much yeah. type outfit. Um, yeah, and then, of course, she starts chastising, or she's, I guess she's sort of like still sort of the ship's counselor in a sense, and in that, you know, um, Troy was always off, you know, doing other things, but... Um, uh, you know, still advising people over a drink, and she's talking to Picard about the fact that, you know, he, the kind of relationship, he only chooses temporary relationships. Same conversation he pretty much had with, with uh, Lars, but without the uh, attempted kiss there. Um, and he tells her that ship has sailed a long time ago, and, and uh, she says, you know, you've, you've gone to all these fabulous worlds, and you've explored all these places. The one place you haven't really explored is, is within yourself. The, the final, final, and, final frontier. Yeah, she says one final frontier yet to come is inside you. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, your answers are not in the stars. She basically chastises him, right? As they slowly um, get a little hammered like, on Sori and Brandy. Yeah, well, she, I don't know if you noticed, she didn't drink. Oh, no? She, she fills, she her, fills glass. her glass, but she doesn't drink? She, only he drinks, yeah, exactly. She holds it to her mouth and she puts it back down hmm. again. So I guess it's, you know, get get the customer drunk and take all their money. <laughs> but... um. So I don't know. I didn't catch the name, but Admiral Sally shows up at Picard's house, and I assume it's an admiral mm-hmm. or whatever, a commodore or whatever. Um, and she goes to ask Picard to saying that you know, they've discovered this anomaly and they want Picard to personally go and visit. And he's like, "Oh, come on! I can't possibly." And he's the first character on Star Trek I've ever seen say, "No, I won't jump on the starship and beam off right away." Although he does in a few minutes if you hold on. But uh, so she talks about how they found this Alder Lasky temporal radiation i love in star trek how they just drop these names without trying to explain them <laughs> you know um you're supposed to go and hit the memory alpha to sort them out 
But uh, yeah, so they discovered this. tells her tells him about this anomaly that they found. He's like, "Well, why do you want me to go?" Kind of thing. And so she replays the audio transmission that they that uh, they heard. And uh, the pacing's a little different this time because now it says, "Help us, help help us, Picard," instead of Picard. Help. But if you say "Help us, Picard," over yeah, and over again, loop, it becomes right? Picard. Yeah, help yeah. us. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, sorry, real time follow up. It's uh, Fleet Admiral Sally Whitley. Thank there you. Go. I knew it was an admiral. I can tell by her pips. Yeah. But anyway, and and you know the gray hair. But uh, and she talks about the this buried. I guess buried in the message is in Article Fifteen. The basically the the message that's underlying is that this this species, whoever's sending the message, wants to join the Federation. Mm-hmm. And so she hands him a com badge, and he kind of looks at it for a split second, and you know then he he does it. And then just as Laris is coming in, you know, to back into the house, you hear the transporter leaving because of course you know he jumps and just and just takes off. And my point here, I've made a note here that you'll notice that he never, uh, he's obviously never met uh, Michael Burnham because he didn't take time to say goodbye to all his loved ones before he flew off on this <laughs> you know, dangerous mission. Yeah. Right. So um, he arrives uh, again, uh, this, again, this, 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 uh, a, a magic transporter beam that they've got or shuttle, these amazing shuttles they have, because he ends up at the anomaly like almost instantly. Um, and Seven meets him at the shuttle bay. So and she's like, oh, fancy meeting you here. And they discussed a new class of ship, and you know everybody's standing at attention as Picard walks by. And meanwhile, as they're walking to the turbo lift, you know she's talking about how many people in Starfleet still fear the Borg. Well, and she mentions that and, the, the uh, new Stargazer is the first of this new type that includes Borg yeah. technology, right? Oh, Borg technology, right? And people are still afraid of the yeah. Borg, and she's still getting she's still getting the sort of the, the stink the eye looks yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and the yeah, stink eye, yeah, exactly. She's been, she's been suffering. Uh, we saw the scene where she's getting you know bad mouthed by the pirates for being Borg scum and all that kind of stuff, right? Anyway, and she says that you know people in Starfleet are still freaked out and and by by her presence here. Um, so they decide to hail the anomaly and or the anomaly hails them. I can't remember. No, they hail the anomaly because now Picard is on the yep. ship and and uh, says this is Jean Luc Picard coming to you live from the starship Stargazer. Anyway, USS Stargazer and uh, the Borg ship. A Borg ship appears in through the anomaly, just like in in the J.J. Abrams universe, you know, almost identical scene. But um, and meanwhile, so of course now that the Borg has appeared, the entire Starfleet has to show up and and stand, you know, make a, a wall and barrier and kind of thing to block them all. And uh, of course, you know, we see Commander Rafi Mezikur has has appeared on the Excelsior, and of course it is the Excelsior. I don't know if you noticed that too in the with the ship that beams in, right? Uh, or sort of, I guess, comes out of warp into into where they are. And apparently, she or, and, she outranks uh, the captain, and therefore gets to be the one who calls. I guess. Well, yeah, I was going to say commander. I thought commander was one step below, like a like a first first yeah, officer. Commander should thing, be the right? first officer or one of the one yeah, of the. But primary we don't know who the captain crew. is. We know who this is, and like Tommy was saying before, we have to have all the you know players you know represented here. Um, well, minus, I don't, minus I don't, one. We don't have many Rioses yet. We've only seen two Rioses so well, far. Well, they, right? they mentioned uh, in, in the episode, or in the episode, in the part where they're in the hold, where she's where Seven is fighting off the pirates, she mentions that she had all the holograms merge into one. That's why oh, okay. it's kind of okay. got a, a oh. bunch of the weird affectations that the different holograms had last season, so... Yeah, yeah, because it speaks Spanish. Yeah, right? so it's just, and, but just it's also the Emmett one, the which was the part. yeah. So she basically amalgamated one, all of the personalities into Emmett. Uh, right. But she sort of says, "I wish I could undo some of these things," and he says, "I'm not going to tell you how." Oh, I see. Okay, cool. Alrighty. Um, 
Yeah, so Picard is like, you know, well, this could be a historical turning point, and you know, Allison, uh, not Allison, but uh, Dr. Girardi saying, yeah, this could be an amazing thing, and Seven's going like, are you guys high? <laughs> yeah. These are the Borg, you know, like, fire now. <laughs> Ask questions later. And they're like, yeah, but this could be really good. She's like, are you guys high? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking, are you guys high too? But uh, yeah, so she just basically says the Borg doesn't, the Borg consumes. That's what they do. They just, you know, and she's like victory through all possible means, including deception. Like, don't buy into this nonsense, right? And and yeah, but this could be the beginning of the new Federation. Yeah, it could be the end of the Federation too, right? And then, of course, the, the Borg uh, says in the transmission that we want to send over an emissary. We're going to send you our queen. You're even better, right? And she wants to transport over and sort of, of course, you know, everybody goes, shields up. And, uh, of course, he broadcasts it across the fleet. So everybody turn your, sh- your shields up. And they can't, they can't possibly beam over if we have our shields up. <laughs> or can they? Um, yeah, so anyway, so uh, they, they can apparently beam through. Her, her transmission ends up going right through their, their shields uh, with a nice little neat graphic. Um, green, everything's green with the Borg, by the way. I don't know if you notice that. But um, so... Uh, she manages to be able to write through there, and and so the queen appears on the bridge because she's, that's where she's coming directly to the bridge, and she says, "We wish for peace, but first we require power." And she throws a couple of her Borg thingies. I don't really call those things. Those like tentacles, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Into the there's a name. There's a name for it. A, a poss- uh, there's a name that snails have them, and they they use them to impregnate each other. But you not know, anyway. Oh, proboscis. Um, yeah, something or a like tendril? that. Tendril? I'm not uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of a yeah tendril. It's sort of like a doc octopus kind of appendage, right? Like, and it's, it smashes through the console and taps into the power. Um, again, I, I hate being an IT person because I can see right like why the flaw. Like, why would you attack the keyboard? You know, I mean, it's all the in CPUs one. It's, where it's like like your huh? like your iMac that has everything all attached to the monitor. Yeah, it's like your Commodore 64. You mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, speaking of which, Apple's going to come out with apparently coming out with a computer that's going to be just a keyboard. But anyway, that's I, I digress. Uh, yeah, so you know, got to have for I guess for the for the, the the people who don't understand IT, they have to have it go through the console because that's where they drive the ship from. Uh, let's attack the steering wheel, not the engine or the computer board or whatever. Uh, um, so yeah, and starts to take over the ship, and you know the, the shields are starting going down, and they're losing control of the ship, and. Dr. Girardi's at the keyboard trying to, like, you know, type faster than her because, you know, God forbid they should have a sentient being like Data to beat them. Um, so Seven starts firing at the at the Queen, and then uh, the crew starts firing at the Queen, and the Queen starts firing back, and apparently, but she's only stunning the crew. She's not killing them. Um, and she's uh, and she's taking control over the entire fleet, not just the... Not just the... Um, and, you know, Rio says to the whole fleet, start firing at the Borg ship, and she basically, you're out of time, she says, uh, you know, you can't handle the truth. And then um, when they're at about 85% of taking over, Picard starts again. This is the scene we saw at the beginning of the show where start starts the auto-destruct sequence. And um, just uh, at about when it, and he gives us his password at, at a little bit later, but just at about zero, he's right beside the queen. And just before the, the screen is going to fade to white, the Borg queen says to Picard, Picard, look up, and then which is exactly uh, what his mom his had said in the in the solarium. Exactly what his mom had said, yeah. and he gets back. He's back in the chateau. He's back in the in the uh, the solarium, and of course the glass is back in the solarium. It's no longer broken, right? Although it's still run down because it's it's uh, 
there, and he, he goes into his main living space uh, study there, and uh, Robo Butler Harvey is there, and and uh, says, you know, do you want your? It's a nice day for a walk or something like that. Um, and he says, where is Laris? And he goes, I don't know where. I don't know who Laris is, and he gives a definition of what Laris means in in Romulan. Um, and then, you know, Picard is uh, shaking his head and he's like, you know, holding his head in his hands, wondering what's going on. And he hears a familiar voice as Q appears as a younger man, interestingly enough. As we saw really him cool. last in, in TNG. Yeah. Was it, was he that, that young? I guess. Yeah, I think they, I think um, they brought him back to what he looked like. He, come back then, as a, yeah. he comes back as a magistrate in TNG, right? In the last yes, episode? Yeah. Yeah. It's a bookend yeah. to the, to the pilot. Yeah. To the, to the pilot, yeah, and, and he snaps his fingers to make himself an old man looking like Picard, or looking like John Delancey does today, nudge nudge um, anyway, so and he basically says, don't you remember what I told you, the trial never ends, and uh, basically, yeah, now you're welcome to the very end, he talks to him about second chances again, he says, welcome to the very end of the road not taken, which is the line we saw in the, the trailer so and, and tr- interestingly, I noticed that John Delancey's name wasn't in the title. Title Guinan's name mentioned was there, or Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan was mentioned, but he wasn't mentioned until the out ti- out titles, right? Yeah. So yeah, and that's kind of where where this episode ends. And like you know, like, like Jaime sort of said, hits all the spots of where are all the players in the show, um, and where are they in re- relation to this conflict. The only one that's not present, well, there's two people not present, is the the Data clone and or the original Data. And the um, Ardita's brother, I guess, um, yep. and the Soji character, right? He's still on. Yeah, the they leave her behind planet. on her dipl- diplomatic mission. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that one kind of caught me a little off. I was like, oh, that's sort of disappointing. I thought she was really kind of a breakthrough. The, the Isa Briones, uh, who who played uh, Dodge and Soji in the first season, I thought she was kind of a real revelation i hadn't seen her in anything else i thought she was great yeah. Yeah. i was a little if if she's not a recurring character this season and perhaps the circumstances will will bring her back but if she's not that would be disappointing because she's she's quite good yeah i mean it, it, like I, I it was an enjoyable thing and of course i yeah, I love it when star trek timey gets timey-wimey anyway right um and i thought initially when when the first opening scene there was was going to be like a sort of timey-wimey bit um but it was just, and I missed, like I said, when I when I watched it the first time through, I missed the fact that it said uh, that we were back uh, 48 hours earlier. So going back to like, and again, <laughs> typical Star Trek kind of like, oh, here's an impending Dune disaster thing. Oh, let's loop back to the beginning and start again, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then, of course, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, when I, I was surprised that it was on Crave earlier. Like, it, it showed up for me and Jonathan on Crave this morning so we could watch it, you know, before having to watch it late in the day which is what we normally do when we record but the um when i started watching it again like i never know with these digital services when they mess up and stuff like that and so when the scene with him on the vineyard and and uh and sitting down with laris with the wine i'm like didn't we see that before like wasn't like i thought maybe they were replaying the first episode from season one by mistake kind of thing right so it took me a minute to sort of catch up yeah it was was very weird but i guess i guess that's sort of like the the, the familiar ground we know picard is you know living on chateau picard in france and and uh, i don't know if i don't know if we saw the robo uh vineyard equipment before yeah but, we did uh, but we never really got to see it doing what it was doing this time where it's like teleporting grapes off the mm-hmm. the vines and stuff that this this yeah, was a sort yeah. of a different time in in the uh the winemaking process i guess but yeah it's cool yeah for sure 
And 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 they're sort of going into the solarium because we do see the breaking glass, like a you know, like um, I'm I'm tuned into when I see breaking glass and things for mm-hmm. obvious reasons, but um, but like the because that's the beginning of the very the very the title scene in this one is very similar to the title scene in season one. There was a slight there was a bit of the Borg uh, anomaly thing in in the titles, but the, the falling glass mm-hmm. and, the, and the you know because he picks up at one point he picks up a piece of glass with which has got clearly got a rose drawn painted on it right yeah. so and his mom later on says we can paint all these windows right when they when he flashes oh, back she, okay, yeah. to right, right. being brought to chateau picard for the first time but what's interesting though they, they, now you say that because when he comes back to the solarium the, the glass is not painted it's not so that i think yeah. uh will tie into the q timey wimey stuff yeah yeah it's funny because um you know, obviously they're sort of telegraphing some of the stuff. So, you know, we get introduced to Picard's mom for the first time, which we we never really had met her as a character in any kind of flashback or anything. He never really speaks about his mom in any of the previous episodes that I can recall, uh, Yvette. And so there's this scene, this sort of flashback scene where he arrives at as a small child at Chateau Picard and goes into the solarium and his mom is saying, you know, you know, look up to the sky, look up at the stars. And, you know, he, he sort of says, you know, if, if, if we're, if we move here, are you and dad gonna, gonna scream at each other less? Are you going to fight less? And she says, no, but you know, when we do, you can always come out here and look at the stars. Um, which made me think, you know, yes. Uh, so this led to him having Looking like flowers. <laughs> well, it led me to thinking about like the whole concept of like, uh, you know, why did Picard go off into space? Why did he, you know, and because he has the whole conversation with Guinan about this, like, and he has the conversation with Laris about this. Why do you run away from relationships? Well, obviously his parents had a bad relationship, so they telegraphed that a little bit. And I was like, space where no one can hear your parents scream. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. so they're, they're sort of that as obviously the big sort of setup for, you know, him and his relationship issues and everything. So obviously this is all sort of building somewhere. There was a couple of interesting little little nuggets that, that that sort of caught my ear. So at one point, um, when they're at Starfleet Academy and Rafi and Picard are talking, um, there's sort of an allusion to the fact that Rafi was interested in a relationship with Seven yeah, that never right, came yeah. to pass. Yeah. Yeah. And then earlier on, we get the the line from uh, Agnes who says, you know, I just got out of a relationship, you know, and then we find out, obviously, that that was with Rios. We saw them, obviously, they didn't really have a relationship so much as they had sex on in the first season. But she also killed her, her previous, like she was accused of killing the doctor guy that she yeah, was Yeah, she said she was acquitted of that because so she was under the influence of an alien, you know, when, she, when it happened or whatever, so. Um, I like the line about drunk hailing, uh, where, where she has mm-hmm. Soji keeping her from drunk hailing. I love that that's the next uh, sort of iteration of drunk dialing. Drunk texting, drunk dialing is, is drunk hailing. That, that made me laugh. Uh, the um, other part that caught my ear was the... Well, you know, just before you oh, get yeah. there, like when, when the iPhone first came out, like, you know, as, as an app developer, I'm sure Jaime gets this all the time, people come to you with great ideas, right? People have always been asking me, like, can you not make a, an app where it will prevent me from sending texts when I'm drunk? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, again, if there was a way to do it, there'd be a fortune to be made doing it. Yeah. Well, only Apple can do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I thought I thought there was a, a, a lot of uh, little little sort of carrots in here. I'm curious to see how they sort of, you know, bring this 
back because we're talking about Borg, which is a big Picard element, and Q, which is a big Picard element, and relationships, which is something that I think everybody sort of wondered about over the course of time. It's funny because at one point he says, you know, I have loved, I've loved very deeply, and I think we're supposed to infer that he's talking about Beverly. Yeah, yeah, no, true. Well, she talks yeah. about Gates McFadden talked about that too, in in I think part of the reason why, um, as an actress, she was a bit upset because she thought she was the, she also thought she was the love interest for the John Stewart character or Patrick Stewart character, right? Yeah, and that that didn't turn out in the first season or well, whatever, and she right? and she was you know both in the first season and going forward, she certainly was somebody that he was deeply in love with. But I think again that conflict of you know being the one who is my best friend's best girl, friend's and all girl, that stuff, and all, right? yeah. So it was complicated, yeah. and and they do address it at, at one point. They sort of you know it seems like it's going to finally happen towards the end of the show, and then it, it it still doesn't. So yeah, yeah, that's the will they won't they that ended with a won't. Well, I mean, they think they learned from Sam and Diane that <laughs> the show went downhill. But then we had that with Riker and Troy, too. Like, the Riker and Troy thing was like, well, they no. won't they, will they, won't they, and then... And then she... Well, she eventually ends up she with ends Worf, up with Worf right? and then Worf goes to DS9, and then they just, like, glued them back together again. Well, didn't it... Worf... Doesn't Worf and... Jadzia um, end up together. Yeah, Dia, And then Jadzia yeah, yeah. dies. Right, right. But, yeah, I mean, it, but then in, in the movies, they put them back together as a couple and then they eventually get married in, in the last one too. So. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. But uh, yeah, this, I mean, you know, as a, f- as a continuation of the first ser- series and as a big heaping slice of fan service, this was certainly very satisfying. I, I am curious as to whether it can, can obviously build off of a very solid foundation. I mean, I thought this was a very entertaining episode. Um, you know, Catching up with the characters. Well, and... this is what I was saying too. Is that I, I kind of wonder. Obviously, it's a different showrunner team, a different yep. writer group. You know, they got the same. They have the same chess pieces to play with. But I think I found this was written way better than a Discovery episode. Uh, I think it's a tough thing to like. They really are at a tough place. You know, this one comes with so much institutional knowledge. Now, it's funny that that's your perspective, because the first thing uh, that my son said to me when we started talking about, it, I said, yeah, actually, they're they're doing the last couple episodes of Discovery on the same night. So they're doing the first few episodes of Picard. And he said, I watched the trailer for Picard. It seemed like there was a lot of stuff about Q and a lot of stuff about the Borg. And I haven't watched any of that stuff. Do I have to watch that stuff? And I was like, you kind of do. You like." That's the thing is you could come into Discovery from season one and watch the evolution of the characters and you can it's all there for you. This is relying on institutional Star Trek knowledge. Yeah, you could come into this cold or you could come into this just having watched the first season. But there's a lot of stuff in this that you're going to have to have have seen not just a few episodes, but a good like 10. Yeah, there's probably about, there's probably about five, five Q episodes you got to watch. There's. there's well, at the very least, you need to watch the the pilot and the finale. Are would say be the very minimum. But but the other the other there's a couple of Q episodes and like one where Q get loses his power, the one where Q gives his power to Riker. Yeah, just so you yeah, get a sense a of, of who Q of is. But and the Borg ones, I can I can save from the Borg point of view. Like the Borg is kind of interesting as you go through this thing. But I think the two one two series you got to watch are the Lacuas of Borg part, and then I would say um, First Contact. Yeah, those two are, are, again, the absolute minimum that you could watch 
But again, that's that's yeah. not nothing. We're talking about you know, at at minimum like six eight hours of of Star Trek that you need yeah. to soak in yeah. to really understand what's going on here. So this is really yeah. for Star Trek fans. It's not something you could come in as cold to as. You know, Discovery really started with new characters, new concepts. Let's let's go. And, you know, it's not for everybody. I I have friends who are vehemently not interested in, in Discovery. They think it's too dark. They think it's it's not uh, true Trek. They think it's very, very different and they don't like it. I like that it has taken elements of what we consider to be traditional Trek and has added on to it. I actually quite enjoy Discovery. I think it does a better job of character development. We've talked about that. I think it does a better job in a lot of different areas, but I could see why people have, you know, uh, concerns. And, you know, this is the whole Orville versus Discovery conversation, which we've had before. Some people like Orville because it's much more like traditional Trek. It's a little brighter. It's a little less violent. It's a little less uh, emotional. It's a little more, a little lighter. I, I get it. And if that's your thing, cool. But that's not what they're doing right now. Picard, again, I think I thought it for the first season very much, but it's even more so as we come to this one. If you don't have the foundation in Trek knowledge, you're going to need a lot of exposition that I don't think you're going to get, or you're going to miss a lot of nuance. Yeah, I think we need to hear what Jaime has to say. For sure. I uh, I enjoyed this episode. Um I thought it was interesting that it felt like they were trying to address, uh, yes, we, we talked about the where is everybody sort of thing. So they, they set all the chess pieces up, right? But um, I thought it was, in my mind, the meta thing that was happening was addressing a lot of the issues that people had with the first season, right? So let's start with, they had a problem last season where people are like, bro, they're like, two and a half episodes in they haven't even like left his living room you know <laughs> when's when's stuff gonna happen so in this case they said all right he's still gonna be in his living room but we're gonna start in media res right which like you didn't need that right like that is an actual choice i believe like they could have started it like he's on his wine uh vineyard and he's just doing stuff and then lead into the the 48 hours instead of going into the pew 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 to begin with and then to tease you and then coming back right like there wasn't like a time loop there so i feel like that was a distinct choice at the okay let's start it off with some action and get people sort of going i also think something that was pretty noticeable to me was when they had the fleet show up they said okay people hated the copy and past that copy and paste inquiry class um, fleet. So let's just show a whole bunch of very obviously different ships mm -hmm. when, when the fleet shows up with the Stargazer. So I thought that was, um, again, an intentional thing, like addressing some of the pains that they had before. And then they all went boom. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of kind of curious to see where they where they end up going with some of this stuff. Um, I think they're going to have to try to balance what I think is happening, which is you got to spend a whole bunch of money on the pew pew pews, but you also said, all right, here's a story reason why this takes place in LA. <laughs> so yeah. we don't have to go anywhere except just like, you know, right out our door, uh, have it be filmed right outside. Uh, or maybe it's actually, you know, like somewhere in Canada for all I know. Um, but I think they at least wanted a lot of establishing shots that they could keep. Relatively no, cheap. they had already said that Picard was the one thing that they're not filming up here because one, it requires less, um, uh, less studio stuff or outside stuff, but it's also uh, Patrick Stewart wants to be in LA. So that was the end of that. He's like, I will do your show for three years, but I'm not doing, I'm not living in Toronto. 
Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Like, but so in, was it, was it the first Star Star Wars J.J. Abrams movie where they sent the entire fleet and they all got wiped out except for the Enterprise? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Because they've done that before where they've, they all show up to have the big battle and everybody gets hammered, right? Because um, I know there was one, there was a big Borg war at one point in one of the uh, series, right? Where a whole bunch of ships, you know, attack a Borg cube. In which series? I'm a little lost because you're mixing a few different things. Because if you're talking Borg, let's go with Borg. If you're going with Borg, because I think you're mixing a few things. If you're going with Borg, Borg have not appeared in the Kelvin verse. So you're, you're no, no, no. Hang on, Star- hang on a second. Wait, okay. wait, wait. No, back up to what I said. Uh, the whole fleet shows up and gets wiped out, except for the, like the one main ship. Was that? the beginning of discovery or was that one of the episodes that, one of the jj abrams the movies? beginning like, of ds9 they show the actual battle of wolf 359 which is the the one where they they take locutus and and then he basically massacres everything there they show that in the first episode of ds9 yeah because i mean theoretically if if the enterprise or the, the enterprise target blows up you know and it's going to take you know or whatever, whatever that happened when when the screen fades to white or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, it's going to take a, a, hopefully take the Borg ship with it and and you know whatever fleet's all parked there. Like it's it's kind of silly that that the entire I think no I think it was the first Star Trek movie where with J.J. Abrams where they all go to fight the what's the bad guy in that one? It's the Oh, but that's yeah, that's not a Borg ship. That's the mining ship, right? No, I know it's. I didn't say Borg. I said the entire fleet goes and gets wiped oh, out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. See, Tim. The problem that you're running into is you confused us unnecessarily by talking about the Borg. About and I think it was Borg. an attempt yeah, to make apologize. an analogy. I apologize around... for being. I apologize for not being a stickler on Star Trek lore. <laughs> but that's what you were looking for. And, Holy and, cow! And unfortunately, no. I'm, I'm looking. I'm just saying this is not the first time we've seen Star Trek, Starfleet, as a stupid move put all their chess pieces up in front of this this thing and then get totally wiped out. Yeah, but I guess the flip side of that is that we we know that the the Borg are basically the toughest thing that they've ever faced in their history. So I guess the, the notion is that they probably have a, a proviso in there that says, like, if the Borg show up again, it's all hands on deck. Every ship yeah, comes no, screaming yeah, in yeah. and, you know... Under no circumstance. I mean, look at the beginning of of, uh, of first contact. I think they had already had that the same principle in place. The Borg show up and they're like, "Hey, we better stop them." And then, then like five seconds later, they're like, "Oh, by the way, the Borg took over the entire planet four hundred years ago." So you yeah, know, like, yeah, I think yeah. they know that what's at stake when the Borg show up is like that's enough of that. Like they're done. Like we're going to blow them out of the water. Yeah. Well, it's what seven says. Like you start firing now. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're all sitting around going, let's go to the red room and talk yeah. about this. Let's have a conversation. No, it's not. Yeah. No, no. I just, I just mean like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was because there was some reason why I think because Chris Pine shows up on the, on the enterprise, they come out of warp or something. And then, and then, but they don't, so they, they show up late and everybody's been blown up. Right. Yeah, similar thing, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's the same principle, but a different attack, right? Yeah, different yeah, story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, like, but in Star Trek, like dumb moves that you could make with a bunch of Starfleet ships. You yeah. Know? Well, I mean, again, I guess what's the what's the alternative if you have like the ultimate enemy that that you know they've already established they can basically figure out your shields in a, in a few seconds. They can you know hop aboard your ship, transform their your entire crew into their entire crew, and then just turn around and keep going. What do you have besides send everything you've got at them and and say a prayer? True. 
But but then but then, and then also the other the other sort of thing the other convention that we know from dealing with the Borg is that the Borg knows how to travel through time, right? Because they did yeah. that in in um, first contact and a few other things, right? So we know this is, again. Like I think we I don't know was it in the trailer or was it just in the leaks or whatever that they're going to go if they film most of it in L.A. in twenty. What did you, you said two thousand? I think they fast forward a couple of years. Twenty four, twenty five. Yeah, yeah. Again, like you know, then they can still have iPhones and. You know, don't have to worry about changing street signs and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Interesting episode. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. Like, I, I, I don't know. I just found. I mean, maybe you're. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is the the connection to because Picard is closer to conventional track. I do find Patrick Stewart is really looking old. I don't know if he, that's he intentional. Is, or yeah, it, no, and it occurred to me too. Sounding old, but I think it it fits in a way. Like, even though, although I gotta admit, you know, if I'm him and I come out the other side and they're like listen dude you died we put your consciousness into this uh artificial being that you can now live in we've put a timer on it so it's going to die the same age that you probably would have naturally died and also you're still like a 95 year old man i'd be like hey hey Maybe you could yeah, have. Why can't I go back to thirty-five? Yeah, like, how about you don't again? do that, and I get to be like thirty-five, <laughs> and you can get Tom Hardy to play me from now on. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, definitely that. That would have been that would have been a better angle. Not not great for Patrick Stewart, but still, it would have been better for Picard as a person. Well, right? I mean, honestly, like I'm surprised they haven't used that yet as a way of like rebooting a character or saying like, oh, well, that's that's this character, but in a new body. Now you just have to. Well, they did that with in, uh, right? with um, they did that with uh, Professor X, right? Because they the, the the younger yeah yeah that's fair that's true the yeah X-Men, they basically right? started telling prequel stories, so they were like yeah sure yeah let's go find a Scottish actor that can play the part <laughs> and kind of sort of looks like kind of I gotta say I like Fastbinder as Macanito I like them both I think uh, McAvoy is mm. I think he's a good he's a good. Uh, I, I, yeah, no, I, I mean, I like the younger generation. How, how they don't have him as the uh, as the um, next generation of Picard all lined up. I don't know what they're doing there. I feel like that's a missed opportunity. Mm, I know. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a really solid start. I think they're they're on a they're on a really good path with this. You know, I, I do think this one hits hits you more in the nostalgia feels, just because again to see the familiar faces and really when you look at it, there's only one familiar face like the only face that's just a tng i guess john delancey when he shows up is q but yeah i really well, it's seven of nine i guess that's true no you're right you're right it's it's uh it's jerry as well but yeah i think you know i think they had good chemistry i think there was a good sort of uh good first season to build off of and i think that there's plenty of places to go we know from seeing the trailer that we're going to see brent spiner again at some point um, I must admit, I might go back and watch that trailer again just to see if we see uh, Issa Briones show up again because because I really did like her. But um, well, she's in the titles, so she's got to be a main character at some point. It's possible, although you know, again, maybe she was there because that was what her contract called for when she was in the episodes. I, I don't know. You never know. It, to me, it seems strange given that they do that. But then, how do you bring an artificial person who wasn't created until the 24th century into the timeline now to, I don't know, it, it seems complicated. Oh, right. She's not going to go back in time with them potentially. Oh, well, and again, it depends what Q has done. Is this simply time travel? Is this time travel, oh. you know, different universe? Like, is this, did he just change one thing and it, it was the cascade, you know, that's the impression I think we're supposed to be given is that, you know, uh, he sort of reset the timeline by changing one key thing. Yeah. 
So maybe. Or is this all in the mind of a demented 80-year-old? <laughs> well, <laughs> there was times last season that that's what it felt like they were going for, right? Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Like the whole, like, if you think about, like, the, what's the, the last episode of TNG called? Um, all Things Must Pass. All Good Things. Or... All Good Things, yeah. All good things, yeah. I mean, that whole episode is him bouncing around different, different. Um, yeah, parts, parts time of time. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. And that is that cue messing with him, or is it just him having? Because yeah, because there's that again. It's anomaly, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it starts off small in in the the future and ends up big in the past, or something mm-hmm. like that. Look, that's a subspace anomaly. Like they've never done that before. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my only sort of minor fear about the season. I. I think you have to enjoy the journey and not the destination because it's yeah. a Star Trek story about an alternate timeline and things, the path not taken, you know, and the Borg and, and, and Q, you know, I think we, we have a pretty good telegraphed sense of where this is going. Maybe they'll throw us some interesting curveballs along the way, but it, it seems like you could pencil in the, the ending of this series right now and not be wrong. Yeah. I mean, do you have a sense of that? Do you feel like it's kind of Star Trek script story number 16? Yeah, I do think that it probably ends up being kind of like uh, tapestry or, or all good things together. Uh, they did call out yesterday's Enterprise, so could be kind of mixing that into. Are we putting money on Gates McFadden and Will Wheaton? Uh, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting. <laughs> I mean, last season they went out of their way to have uh, have... You know, Brent Spiner and, as Data. Yeah. They had uh, Riker and Troy, so they had Jonathan Frakes and, and Marina Sirtis. Wait, so wait, Troy and Riker are married in this one, but were, didn't you just say that that um, Worf and Troy were married at one point in the movies? No, no. Uh, Riker and Troy mm-hmm. get married in the movies. Oh, okay, right, yeah. okay. Right. Yeah. When she takes the car out and crashes it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the moral of the story is <laughs> never let the Betazoid drive the bus. Yeah. He's too empathetic. Empathetic. <laughs> empathetic. Yeah. She'd fail the she'd fail the trolley test no matter what she chose. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Cool. I, I remember what I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask Jaime. Jaime, have you seen Eternals? Yes, because that came out on Disney Plus. Yes. So the only Marvel movie yeah. I am missing is um, Spidey. Uh, Spider Man. Yep. Which is, comes out a week or two, I think. Yeah. Okay. Are you gonna Are you gonna get the uh, the digital version, or are you uh, Are you Waiting for it to come to a free streaming service, or are you going to splurge on the uh, the rental or the or the purchase of the uh, the digital copy? I think I'm going to have to splurge because I don't think it's coming to any uh, free streaming service anytime soon, since it's that weird Sony-owned property yeah. of a of an MCU. It, it'll turn up thing. on Netflix eventually, but they have made no clue as to when that's happening. Yeah, so depending on how they end up doing the rental, it probably ends up being like purchase it sort of thing it'll probably mm. be like 20 bucks yep uh so what was your what uh now that it's a little after the fact but what did you think of eternals it's so weird because the entire movie is strangely connective tissue well didn't it feel like avengers 2 didn't it feel like age of ultron where that like yeah there's a plot but really it's just a lot of like setup yeah but kind of to a worse degree because you've got characters that have to be introduced in the same movie and then i'm like well some of them die so I guess it's to raise stakes, but you could just write them out and say, yeah, there's like four Eternals, yeah. <laughs> right? And not have to deal with all of these other ones um, in, yeah. I don't know, it, 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 
might be one that will be better in retrospect in terms of like, oh, okay, okay, I see. They were they were setting up all this stuff, but if it doesn't pay off for some of the things that they were, you know, hypothetically trying to to set up, and I think it will retroactively be worse, right? It'd be like, yeah, yeah, this this movie is just you know all filler. Well, and they they really they 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 started with you know so they introduced you to the Black Knight. He's clearly going to be a player. You get introduced to. Um, you know, all of the Eternals. And then there's sort of a teaser at the end there for like, oh, what's this supposed to be? And then if you put two and two together on what they've already announced as far as movies coming, you're like, oh, okay, I know what that is. And so, yeah, you end up with this sort of like mishmash of like a lot of new characters, a lot of, you know, new ideas all sort of coming together. It's like, oh, this is a lot. And yeah, you're right. They like start killing off characters and you're like, oh, I guess it's supposed to raise the stakes, but you're also kind of like, I don't know who that is. And I don't care. Yeah. I, I don't know if they needed to get to a particular point immediately in this movie to set up the, the next ones. But um, alternatively, it seems like if you were going to have that full cast of Eternals uh, mm. overall, mm. I would probably split them up because they kind of do that already. It's like, Hey, where's so-and-so? I don't know. Let's go find them. Oh, cool. It sounds like you could have like three Eternals try to go find, you know, one or two more. And then in another movie, not necessarily theirs, but like they show up as a key part of some, you know, uh, you know, Captain America movie or something like, oh, okay, these Eternals are here. Hey, we're looking for so-and-so. Okay, cool. Let's see. And they help out. Yeah. And you could sort of peanut butter across several. Like it just felt like they 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 want to get to a particular point really fast so they just shove that all together into one movie. Yeah, it still feels like I I didn't come away from that movie being like, "Oh, I can't wait to learn more. I can't wait to know, you know, what happened to this like in a lot of circumstances I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Like it was fine and it was fun, but it like I never found myself deeply invested. There was no moment where I was like, "Oh, I can't wait to find out more adventures from insert character here." It was more just sort of like, yeah, it was a movie. I also think it suffers from, uh, and granted, I'm not as familiar with the the, the comic material, but you know, mm. they've, they've changed. No the one is. That's the problem. Pretty, no, no one's pretty. familiar with the comic properties. Yeah, and and I know they've changed stuff, you know, pretty dramatically in other areas. But I think in this case, it was really hard for me to understand. So when you got Superman, right, yeah, a whole bunch of these other ones don't seem that useful. Like guy with iron fist punches. Yep. Okay, that dude is off the list. He, he's cut. Um, <laughs> Kamel Nanjiani, as as great as he is, I'm like, pew, literal pew, pew, pew from his uh, fingertips is not as good as <laughs> I shoot the same stuff from my eyes. Yeah. Right? I'm like, yeah, he gets cut too. Um, so when you start removing those characters, I'm like, yeah, you, you probably could have limited them, right? You, you have characters who make no sense in terms of like what value do they add yeah um, like every you know you could do some odd ones like okay you know the illusionist okay that one y- you make the cut right like you, clearly superman can't do that yeah uh the the mind control guy i'm like mm-hmm. yeah he probably makes the list too right um so that's where i i struggled a bit with just how many characters they had given that they didn't all make it through well, and, and all their dynamics and, you know, obviously they're a little derivative of other characters that exist already. You know, this one runs fast. Like, don't we have one of those? Like, yeah, it's it just feels like, um, yeah, a, ho- a whole lot of, uh, was it uh, full of sound and fury expressing nothing? Like, it just felt mm-hmm. like there was a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of noise and not a lot of there there. But yeah, I mean, again, I think 
it'll be interesting to see how this one is is sort of seen over the course of time again i think a lot of people when they saw the second avengers movie were like really and then as it became a more coherent part of a larger narrative i think it was redeemed a little bit especially as they start tying it into you know the the wandavision and you know it has a little bit more legs but yeah it's um it's interesting to see as a standalone movie and try and reconcile like what what am i looking at here yeah um i guess something they could also do going forward is make eternals from other you know planet groups yeah part of a bigger thing too as they they sort of make their way out of the the multiverse uh storyline well and it, it expands the space stuff in a way too so they can do the you know the guardians of the galaxy meet the eternals kind of you know vibe and mm-hmm. there is um you know obviously the stinger in there where they introduce star fox to star fox is an avenger in the in the comic books from a long ways back and you know uh, making that coincidentally casting that as one of the most famous uh, musicians in the world definitely uh, adds some some impact to that one right that was the yeah. one where we we were talking about spoilers and how bad spoilers can be so when you went on to google and you did a search for eternals his face was the first one that pops up and lists his character for like the day after it was published or did the day after that it appeared in the theaters. That's that's if you went and like looked up Marvel's Eternals, his picture came up as like the first thing. And I'm like, that's a pretty bad spoiler. Who's that? You're talking about Harry Styles. Oh, Harry Styles. Harry Styles yeah. is, is, of course, playing uh, Star Fox. And yeah, so like I was like, oh, my God, how do you not get spoiled by this? Like, that is terrible that, you know, it's just so right there on front street right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i do but, think that for these kinds of you know spoilerific sort of searches the folks at google should find the you know the no man woman or child can spoil me because i care not about spoilers um yeah. person to go in see the info and tweak the algorithm like yeah suppress this even though it sort of makes sense as a oh people are like rapidly looking up who was that dude yeah, and and the algorithm naturally bubbles it up. It's like, yeah, just go in and put your finger on this kid and say, not today, or you know, do something fancier of like black out this part and have a little hover thing that says click to see spoiler. Yeah, yeah, no, that would have been a better better way to go. It is interesting though. I, I found especially you know the fact that they went from uh, Shang Chi to Eternals to Spider Man. And now the next one up is is Doctor Strange. You know, I get that they need to introduce new characters. And, you know, obviously Moon Knight's going to be the next Marvel Disney Plus series. And that one I think will be a really interesting one because that's the first character that Disney Plus is going to do where we come in cold. Like, we don't know anything about Moon Knight theoretically other than comic fans. Like, for a larger MCU enjoying audience... It's something brand new. We got one divisions based on the on the movies characters we've already met. Same with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Same with you know even What If is is really kind of mm-hmm. dependent on your knowledge of the MCU. And Moon Knight is a new thing. Eternals is a new thing. Shang Chi's a new thing. I get that they need to add some new players on the table, particularly as you know some of the previous actors don't want to be there anymore, don't want to do other things or or whatever. But the 
I wonder if they're now starting in, and I'm sure they're going to hire good actors, and I'm sure they're going to write them well and everything else, but I wonder if they're now scraping too far down on the barrel of second-tier Marvel characters that people are like, really? Like, I'm supposed to now care about the Eternals and Shang-Chi? Like, I have been reading comics since I was four years old. I own more comics than I, I assure you than anyone else you know, and I have read without exaggeration, tens of thousands of them over the years and done so professionally. So I got I got a, a little bit of bona fides here. I have read, I think in my entire life, I've read eight Eternals comics. They were all the series written by Neil Gaiman. It was fine. It wasn't anything that I would, you know, go back and read a thousand times. It was fine. I have never in my life, not once, read a Shang-Chi comic. I've read some Moon Knight and I've enjoyed some Moon Knight, but it, I would put him in the bottom 50 of my Marvel characters that I like the most. And as they're continuing to sort of expand this stuff outward, I think like if I'm a diehard and they're not like, of course, I'm going to watch these things because I really enjoy the subject matter and I, and I do think they do a good job. But every single one of these just seems like a bigger and bigger leap into a leap of faith into like, are, are the larger audiences just going to follow because Mar Marvel is now the brand and not the characters? Like... Does is everybody on board? Like, how do you guys feel about some of this stuff? I mean, I, I mean, I know you're a bit more of a comic reader than Tim, but do, do you feel like when they introduced Star Fox, you know, more people were like, oh, my God, that's Harry Styles. than we're like, oh, my God, that's Star Fox. I think it was probably one of the handful of people who was like, oh, my God, it's Star Fox. And how the hell did we get to Star Fox? Yeah, I guess I was a tweener because I was like, not Star Fox. I'm like, isn't that Eros? Like, isn't that uh, yeah. from Infinity Gauntlet? Yeah, uh, so I didn't know the Star Fox thing, but uh, yeah, I um, hmm. I do think that we're seeing DC and Marvel kind of go slightly different directions while also doing kind of some of the, the similar things, right? They can't be complete polar opposites. I think uh, Marvel is able to flex on the larger universe. You don't know who this character is. That's cool. We'll explain these characters, right? Um because they were kind of already starting with kind of the, the B tier to begin with uh, in terms of like, do random people on the street recognize this character mm. sort of thing. Um, whereas DC it started from the, like everybody knows Wonder Woman, Batman and Superman, like there's no, no challenge there. And they've sort of gone down the route of the, the sort of key pantheon of heroes that are well known and then sort of dabbling into Okay, well, what about something weird like the Suicide Squad? Okay, uh, what if we can branch off of that to Peacemaker and stuff? So it's kind of the movie and, and TV equivalent of like Starbucks and McDonald's starting on polar opposites of mm. coffee. And then slowly it's like, oh, Starbucks has the cheap coffee now too as an option. And oh, they've got the premium coffees at McDonald's now too. And I think we'll see the same thing with the DC Cinematic Universe and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good analogy. I mean, it's it's tricky. Although, again, I think that the thing that's kind of impairing the 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 DC stuff for me is there's too much of the same thing. Like, how many times are you going to tell me a Batman story? How many times are you going to tell me a, a, a Superman story? Like, they just keep going back to the same well over and over and over again, because that's they know that they're playing the hits. That's what they do. They're playing the hits. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, Marvel is like, oh, we're going to take you someplace you didn't know you wanted to go, but you're going to love it. You know, DC is like, you know, what people want is more Batman. OK, you know, they're not wrong. 
But it would be like Marvel saying, you know, yeah, like, well, and Marvel has to a certain extent. Now, granted, it was Sony, but like Marvel is basically saying, you know, hey, yeah, we're here to do nothing but uh, Spider-Man, right? Spider-Man, Spider-Man and Spider-Man. That's all you get now is Spider-Man. We're not doing anything but Spider-Man. The end. And, you know, they've done it now. They've done what, like eight Spider-Man movies. So sure. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I just I wonder how long you can keep playing the hits like that and not have people be like, I don't care anymore. I'm hoping that stuff like um, well, I can't remember how the Suicide Squad did, but it's, you know, you know give it a pandemic pass for, for that because it's so such a weird time. But hopefully the the good at least reviews and I don't know what viewership has been like, but hopefully the good reviews and hopefully good viewership of Peacemaker is going to encourage them to do weirder and wackier things and not just go with the hits. Well, and they've done that on the on the, the television side, right? They've done things like Titans and Doom Patrol and things that are a mm-hmm. little more abstract and obscure as opposed to, you know, what you'd expect. Uh, you know, that's, you know, some of those are pretty bold choices. But yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see where where they feel like comfortable they can go and and, you know, feel like they're getting their money's worth, uh, you know, but again, if, if I was making, you know, hundred million dollar movies and somebody said to me, well, we have two choices we can do, uh, you know, insert obscure, you know, let's do a green arrow movie or let's do a Batman movie. There's a built in audience for Batman that is so in the zeitgeist, everybody knows it and knows they want it. We'll cast some sexy people in it, like, you know, uh, Zoe Kravitz and Robert Pattinson, and it's guaranteed to make pretty close to a billion bucks back off of a $200, billion, a $200 million investment. That's what I do. Like, you know, like I get it, but it just feels like at the same time, I know as I'm looking at this thinking, so this is now like yet another iteration after this is now the eighth standalone batman movie of the last 30 years i'm i'm having a tough time getting motivated for it and, I, and i'm sure it's going to be great but it's it's hard to be like oh cool more more batman yeah this is why you need to, to go on the internets and scream with them it's like do another green lantern cowards <laughs> do hawk <and> girl cowards <laughs> you know yeah i still think green lantern absolutely could work what they need to do what they should have done in the first place and what they need to do is the uh, is the john stewart i think that that's a no-brainer like hey you know what we need more black superheroes you know what's a no-brainer john stewart yeah john stewart the comedian john no stewart? john stewart is uh is is the first black uh, uh person to be green lantern in the comic books well-established character has been around for 40 years like and was the for a lot of people is green lantern because he was the character in the justice league cartoon that was immensely popular for a number of years so for a lot of people Mm -hmm. he is green lantern but apparently they had to do the ryan reynolds you know hal jordan version yeah well he came out okay on that well they paved the way through that it's like somebody said all right this is the wrong movie to do it, but you know, what if he did Deadpool, right? And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, you, you do that, and it worked out brilliantly there, right? It's very similar and even just amped up to the tenth degree. Yeah, uh, Ryan Reynolds in, in Deadpool, and it worked out. I think uh, my favorite thing I saw last week was <laughs> they were talking about how right now. Tobey Maguire has the record for the longest career in the Marvel Universe, because if you retroactively include all of his 
uh, Spider-Man movies, now that they've been canonized, he has been playing that character for 21 years. Okay, that's pretty cool. Uh, or Yeah, 21 years. Um, if you go back and look at the fact that they're now teasing Patrick Stewart showing up in Doctor Strange, that would give him the record because he would have been playing Professor Charles Xavier since 2000 when X-Men came out. And so, you know, you, you get that much further. So I'm putting double money down now on Wesley Snipes showing up as Blade at some point. That, <laughs> the, really, that's where it starts, right? That was the first one where they were like, that was the first really, truly modern uh, Marvel movie. That was a Marvel yeah, one. Eh? It's okay. not set in the MCU as we know it, but I would love if they would find a way to include that. Now, they've already recast uh, uh, Blade for the iteration that they're planning on doing, and uh, and they did pretty well by that because they got, um, uh, oh, what's his name? The, uh, the guy from Luke Cage. Oh, he's so good. Mahershal Ali uh, is going to be Blade. And, and uh, spoilers, 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 but that's who is talking to the Black Knight at the end of, of Eternals is... Mahershal Ali as Blade. So I think it'll be really cool if they could find a way to to sort of sneak him in there. I'm told, I haven't watched it yet, but I'm told that uh, Blade, that uh, Wesley Snipes as Blade showed up in the most recent season of What We Do in the Shadows as part of like the Council of Empire Leaders. (laughs) That's genius. I think uh, I think that's eminently doable with the multiverse of madness sort of thing. Um, So that gets you a little further back. Uh, this is where we start screaming, do it cowards and see if they can find <laughs> the, the actors from those, uh, those old awful VHS oh. cash grabs of like fantastic four or Captain America. And that would be the deepest of deep cuts of, you know, well, we know they could do the multiple fantastic fours because, you know, those are all people that are gettable. Um, one of them is Anson Mount, right? Anson Mount was, was Reed Richards back in, back oh, in yeah. the day, wasn't he? Mm. Oh, I'm talking like. You know, oh, you mean the really old ones? The the one that oh, like came out like on VHS yeah. and they were only done on the cheap so that they oh, could yeah. retain the Those rights. Oh, yeah, those are fantastic. The ones. Captain America with the motorcycle helmet. Oh, I love yep. it. I love yep. it. Yep. Get those. Get the, what do those people love to? Just put them in the background. <laughs> That'd be the <laughs> the uh, the pub trivia question of like who's had the longest span and watch everybody fall on you know Tobey Maguire oh. on you know uh, Patrick Stewart. Somebody fall on you know, on Wesley Snipes and then somebody find, and I don't even know who these people are, you know, that person who played, you know, Sue Storm or that person who played Captain America. Oh, I'm wrong, by the way. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't, um, uh, Anson Mount. It was, uh, Ian Groford that played, uh, Reed Richards and those ones. They, they look very alike. They're very, you know, handsome square jawed men, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, it'd be interesting. I mean, Chris Evans is gettable. He was human torch, right? Uh, Jessica Alba, Michael Chiklis played Ben Grimm. I mean, these are all people who are still out there. We could we could get these people in these movies. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm I am really curious about that. Does could you get Affleck back to be Daredevil? Could you get uh, Jennifer Garner to be uh, to be Electra again? Yeah. Like how far? How far can you? How deep in the well can you get? How much money of a Brinks truck do you have to back up to get uh, all these people back in to be the parts they were before? Yep, could be fun. To move on to our watch list. Let's get to the watch list, shall we? Watch list. Okay, so uh, Jaime, I think you you probably already watched this, right? You watched the new the Suicide Squad movie that had come out last year. 
Yes, yes, I did. I saw that on HBO Max. I Wait, think. there's a new Suicide Squad. There's a new Suicide Squad movie that came out last year. It's directed by James Gunn, famously of the uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. After he got fired by Marvel, he signed on to oh, okay. do Suicide Squad, and then uh, he apologized profusely. And Marvel has hired him back to do Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, which he's currently working okay. on. I uh, had wanted to see this, but it, it did come out during a, a pretty bad COVID stretch here, so didn't make it to the theater to see this one. Um, I like James Gunn. I think he's a fun filmmaker. I think he's got a real sense of, of how to make movies interesting, and so I was sort of in on it. It had come here uh, much later on sort of a, a, in, a, in a socialized sci-fi kind of way. It had come here onto Crave in Canada a while back and I had sort of held off watching it thinking oh you know I'll get to that no I'll get to that and finally this week I had an evening to myself so I sat down and I watched the whole thing and and quite thoroughly enjoyed it I I actually um you know it's 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 not Pacific Rim bag of popcorn but it's pretty bag of popcorny it's you know it's fun and it's funny it's uh got some you know watch birds of prey now i watch watched birds of prey it's actually it's okay. Oh, okay it this is way better than birds of prey um but okay. i thought hmm. i thought this i thought that one came after this one no no this is the most recent dceu movie uh they're they're I'm talking about the, the Holly. What's her name? Harley um, Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, this yeah. this came after that. So Harley's. In, uh, oh, I thought I thought this came first, and then Harley Quinn came no. second in terms of when they were produced or made. No, or this whatever. this is the 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 uh, sort of latest chapter prior prior to the Batman, which is apparently not in the DCEU. So there you go. Um, it'll it it's good i enjoyed it it's uh it, it's led by idris elba uh as the sort of main star of it uh alongside um you know harley quinn is back in this one and some recurring characters from the previous ones but they kind of bring you a, a whole new cast and yeah it's it's a totally totally enjoyable movie uh it does introduce peacemaker the john cena peacemaker character uh which has spun out of this into the show i i fully intend to watch that i've actually heard some very very good things about that peacemaker series so that's now available here in canada through uh crave as well so that's on my to-do list now to sort of see what they where they go with that character but uh yeah i think if you're looking for a couple hours of just good gory comic book fun um you know you you could do far far worse than this new suicide squad movie i would i would definitely say uh it's it's worth a watch um and just a ton a ton of cameos especially in the first 15 or 20 minutes of the movie just all these very funny cameos from all of these very very famous people playing uh you know assorted suicide squad villains which are, are are hilarious and and very very good uh nathan fillion and um you know just just a lot of uh a, a lot of familiar faces from the guardians of the galaxy uh and just i mean as a dc longtime hardcore dc reader i mean it is going not even it's not even c-list at times it's down to like the d e and f list of of dc villains that they put in there as as sort of cannon fodder at times and it's it's pretty great it's pretty great so yeah i would say definitely do that and uh and i'll report back soon because i'm going to dive into the uh the first season of peacemakers over now so they've gotten eight episodes up so i'm gonna i'm gonna power through that in the next uh next couple weeks cool all right i mean 
Yeah, mine aren't uh, so much things you can watch, but things you can look at. I enjoyed this one comic on the the coming of the Borg and how that uh, may not be a bad thing to everyone. And uh, the other thing is that uh, we learned that the Stargazer is a uh, Sagan-class starship. We got a tweet here from the... Is it Carl Sagan? Yeah, yeah, that's why I put the uh, billions and billions of uh, stargazers. <laughs> billions and billions. Billions okay, right. and billions. Yeah. Cool. So apparently this is a tweet from one of the designers there, so we, we've got the, uh, if not in-universe explanation of, of what it is, uh, we've got the, uh, the, you know, the tech specs there. Sorry, just quickly up to pile on you there, Jaime, for the comic book thing. We, uh, we talked last week about the... Um, Digital comics. There's a bunch of free digital comics you can go if you scour hard enough on uh, on Amazon. Uh, I did manage to find in the end like 40 or so that are that are available, including uh, the first issue of The Walking Dead, uh, the first issue of Old Guard, which is a comic that got turned into a Netflix movie. And um, one of the books that's in there is actually uh, there's a one of the IDW Star Trek. Uh, first issues and it's about the mirror universe focusing on uh mirror picard so if you're uh if you want to go down that rabbit hole there are uh even some star trek books that are available for free on on uh, comiXology and amazon.com nice cool all right uh my of course my picks are not quite sci-fi but they're still definitely worth watching um one in terms of the the in the history of disappointing canadians um Killing Eve, which is a great show. Uh, the last season has just come out, and uh, I ex- fully expected it to appear on TV, like I watched it on cable TV for the last first three years. I don't know where it is. I don't know when it's on. I had a hard, real hard time finding it. It came out this, this week, and uh, it was on Crave, so I went over to Crave to see if I could watch it, and of course, it wasn't on Crave on the day it came out. It was on the day after it mm. came out. But uh, still interesting... Um, uh, show um, Sandra Oh and I've uh, forgotten the name of the girl who plays uh, Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Oh, uh, Comer, yeah. Jody Comer. Jody Comer, yeah. A, a, a very interesting beginning and very like uh, the visual, the photography and the symbology in in this first one is is really kind of fun. Um, if you're you know if you've hung around a church for any length of time, you'll you'll see what I mean. But yeah, just check that one out. Um, well, like I said, I had to wait a day before I could actually watch it, which was disappointing. And then, as we, t- I think we talked about last week, um, marvelous Miss Maisel is back out. Mrs. Maisel is back out. Uh, this is again. I think this is the last season as well for that season four. Amazing show, really, really um, well done in terms of the time and and the, the the culture of people in New York and comedians and that kind of stuff. Um, I think it must be coming out uh, one episode a week as opposed to before they dro- they dropped the whole season. But yeah, because I just noticed I watched the first four episodes. I didn't know it was out, and then I think I think one just came out today. So, so that's a good show. And then um, a ninety-nine cent rental on iTunes. I don't know if it's ninety-nine cents in the states. If it's not too bad for you guys, but this is a Canadian movie made by a Canadian lady director. Uh, I think it, I think the director's name is Tr- Tracy Deer. Um, but it's about the Oka crisis, and uh, it's about a young girl who's around twelve, thirteen years old. Indigenous young uh, uh, adolescent just coming into her, you know, coming into herself um, and, uh, you know, figuring out how to navigate the social network of people. She wants to go to, she get, wants to go into a, a 
a white school a school with a lot of white kids that are that are you know like it's you have to apply to get in her mother works for the for a government agency um obviously they live on the reservation and um the Oka crisis, if you don't know, there's a bridge in Montreal that runs down to the island of Gananoke, and um, a lot of people, a lot of people commute into Montreal. They live south of Gananoke, but they drive through Indian land to to get to uh, Montreal. And the, the thing was, they w- somehow they decided to appropriate a bunch of um, grave sites and, and land that belonged to the, to the nations that, were, that live in that area. And um, they want to put a golf course there, mm-hmm. or they want to expand the golf course. And of course, the the, the yeah. residents of the area said no way, and and uh, they started a big dis- dispute between the RCMP and and uh, they basically lined up on both sides and threw rocks at each other and fired guns at each other. And one person was killed. Many many people were injured. But it's about the the families in in the crisis because it's the the mother and two daughters and the and this one young girl named Beans. Um, and how they they navigate this whole situation. At one point, the uh, Premier Bourassa, which is like Governor Bourassa, calls in the army to settle the thing and you know get these these um, uh, Aboriginals under control. And um, they uh, so the 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 mothers and the uh, ladies and the mothers and children are allowed to leave. And so as they're driving out of the area. They, um, the Quebecois are throwing rocks at their cars and, you know, yelling at them and, you know, refusing to, to let them check out at grocery stores. It's a, it's a really interesting point of view from, from their point of view in terms of what went on. I remember the, was it, I think it was 1990 mm-hmm. was when this happened. Um, it was a big news story in Canada, obviously, and, uh, kind of similar to this truck nonsense we had going on a couple of weeks ago. But, um, the, uh, Really interesting to see the, the from that perspective how they were treated and how and and of course this young girl navigating becoming a you know growing up and and you know coming into her own self and interesting there were some really interesting actresses in the story. There's one um, girl named who plays a girl named April and it's Paulina Alexis and she's one of the reservoir, reservation dogs. I don't know if you've seen that show on Disney Plus. And uh, uh, Paulina Alexis was also in the latest Ghostbusters movie. Mm. So. Yeah, it's just really weird to see her in three movies, like one after the other kind of thing. So I did, the young actress, is, uh, I think she's just turned 16, so probably has a pretty bright future as a as an actress as well. But And, and I think this is the debut of the, the lady director as well, Tracy Deer. So really interesting. And she Tracy Deer grew up through the crisis, right? And then she sort of said while they were filming the, the scenes, it kept she kept, you know, having flashing back to how she felt at the time, right? So. Cool. The interesting thing and then jonathan you got something yeah sorry right. i did slip my mind i knew this was coming out soon i didn't realize it was coming out this week uh so the boys season three is coming at the beginning of june but to whet your appetite for that there is a, an animated spin-off series of the boys called diabolical that is coming to Amazon Prime, and it's coming on March 4th. So for us, that's tomorrow. For the listeners, that would be a few days back. But uh, yeah, it, I posted the trailer in here. It's uh, a cartoon set in the same universe. It touches on a lot of the similar themes. It is, again, pretty over the top. So uh, not for the kiddies. This is not a kid's cartoon. Uh, but if you are a boys fan, 
I don't think this is an absolute must if you're a fan of this series, but if you're dying to sort of get a taste back into that world and maybe uh, and dive in a little deeper, I think there's uh, this looks pretty good. I know um, I was listening to one of Kevin Smith's podcasts last week. He said he is uh, one of the voices on the season. So, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in there if you're a fan of the boys verse that uh, that you can dig into so yeah check out uh, the boys diabolical amazon prime may uh, march 4th cool all right and then you can give me money too amazon i'm pimping your stuff not just not just all about hbo max <laughs> cool all right well i guess that's it for another week so hey jonathan people want to get in touch with you wherever they find you, you can always find me on twitter and instagram is at jpk news and hi if people want to get in touch with you i'm on twitter is at dev the hair Right. My name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine as well. You'll find me under that handle. So until next time, we'll see you in the future, or maybe the past. I don't know. <laughs> it depends on what Q does. Damn Q! Okay, bye. <laughs> Damn you, Q. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. it there shall be no more so are we are we going to look for an opportunity to try and find an empty theater to watch batman in sometime next few weeks uh are we going to go to batman at the theater yeah, that's the question hmm. that's an interesting question yeah i suppose we could if we have to i guess I, I, i'm i'm kind of conflicted i i am i can't say that i've seen him in a lot of things so i can't say i'm a fan of robert pattinson i am a batman fan Batman movies tend to be sort of, frankly, the best of what happens with the DCEU. And the fact that it's sort of meant to be a self-contained thing, it's not meant to be tied into the whole Batverse, I think kind of has the potential. And I, the one thing I think we talked about on this show before, but, I, you know, I've I felt like the thing that they've completely underutilized in all the Batman movies is the fact that he's supposed to be the greatest detective in the world. This one seems like it's a good detective movie. The whole point is there is a crazy person out there doing stuff and he has to to figure out the clues to solve the crime, not just go and punch him in the face repeatedly. Uh, mm -hmm. Somebody said this is like Batman meets Seven, which I, I, I'm 100% in oh, on. Oh, really? You know, mm -hmm. the idea is there is a criminal who is doing very, very bad things and... He has to solve the crime, not just find the guy and punch him until he's unconscious and yelling Martha. He has to actually, uh, you know, piece together how this comes together. And, it, you know, it seems like a pot boiler. Like, it, 
to me, that sounds like a recipe for a very enjoyable movie. I've seen a few just glimpses of reviews that have started trickling out the last few days. Some people say it's a little too long, but who knows? Rotten Tomatoes says 85% for the critics and 93% for the audience. Yeah. That so. is 270 and 1,000 plus, uh, respectively. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's worth a watch, uh, you know. Obviously, like anything, it could be watched at home, or uh, but you know those movies tend to be pretty uh, pretty impressive on a big screen. So, I would say if as long as we feel comfortable, that's something to consider. Personally, I'm craving yeah. popcorn. I don't know about you, popcorn. Yeah. yeah well, you may not get. Or are we going to get popcorn when we go to theaters? I think so. Yeah, hmm. I don't know. Last time I went to the theater, they weren't serving anything. Well, yeah, but then horrible. now it seems like they're sort of back to where they were, right? Are they going to have like VIP service and everything? I that I don't know. I still have never made it to one of those VIP things. I'm actually kind of really. It's funny. I'm of all the things that I'm looking forward to. My son, uh, his birthday this year. That's the one I'm looking forward to because he can finally. The three of us can go to the VIP theaters whenever we want. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> well, the VIPs are they're not they're not great theater theaters. Like yeah. I mean, it's a it's a nice convention to be able to sit in a nice comfy chair, but. I mean, the ones at the varsity are like like tiny, tiny screens, you know, and you're in a room with like 20 other couples. and or like Yeah, I think the, couples, the one that they have at um, at Queensway, I think, is a pretty good sized one. At least that's I my impression. I haven't been to that one. Have I been to that? I don't think I've been to that one. I can't remember. Yeah, I think you and I were going to go but once, the... but then it turned out we couldn't for some reason. I can't remember why. Yeah, it was dumb. Yeah. But you know what? The funny thing about it is, like, there's nothing on the menu I want. No, I mean, it's <laughs> except, except maybe that's a beer, the thing. It's right? a, like, it's a novelty be... of drinking a beer while watching a movie. I, that isn't as much for me as the like the big comfy, yeah, the Barco lounger. You get to sit with your 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 significant other and you know and cuddle and stuff like that. But that's listen, I love it, you, you know? dude, but you I, are, I'm not going to snuggle you cuddling. at the, the movie theater. That's that's nope. where I draw the line. Nope. That's where the pod. I'm not pod committed that much. Yeah. Yeah. So. But a few times I've been, I've been to the VIP a few times by myself just because, you know, um, I don't know, I had tickets or it was only playing in that one theater or whatever. But I, yeah, I was always disappointed by the, by the experience. It's never quite, you know, and, and you have to order like during the trailers or before the trailers end or it's just dumb. Mm. Like I don't, I never really quite understood mm. it. So yeah. And like I said, the, the one at the varsity is like, like you're in somebody's living room. It's like, so <laughs> it's like watching yeah. it was the where was it the old place it was uh oh eden center remember those little closets yeah those little tiny places yeah those just like those rooms yeah about that i think they're probably a little bit bigger but yeah i think, I think they're probably about the same size as the one at the varsity but the one at um at uh scotia is, is it scotia no maybe it's the um young and dundas what i'm thinking of they have it there i don't remember yeah i think they have yeah, Younger Dundas, Younger Dundas is kind of weird, too. They have some big theaters, but like not a lot of them, right? So, yeah, I don't know. These sort of, like, remember the backstage when the, when the Uptown had oh, the yeah. backstage? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, they're, they're about that big, but, but you know, the, with the Barker loungers or whatever. Yeah. They don't recline or anything like that. They're just comfy seats with, like, trays in them and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think to Jaime's point earlier, I don't think we're ever going to top the the experience we had of having the entire IMAX theater to ourselves. That was... uh. That was no, probably a once yeah, in a lifetime dealy, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. What movie is that? It was, oh, that was um, Shang Chi. I think. Yeah. You and, uh, and Xavier and I. Well, probably because people didn't know who he was or what it was. I mean, it wasn't well, like and big, again, to be fair, big, we were yeah. seeing like the Late Show on a weeknight in winter. Yeah, we, went, it was so we saw the Ghostbusters storm, right? in the same time frame, and it was, but it had more people in it, right? Yeah. No, it's true. It's we, true. 
Yeah. All right. Listen, it's like almost one to thirty in the morning. I have to go to bed. Oh, okay. you! Half an hour ago. So, call cool. it a night. Talk to you later. All right. See you next Bye. week, guys. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Where's the off button? Where's the off button? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with BetMGM. You'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code Champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.